Welcome to this week's Sports Block Podcast. The baseball season is here. The NBA playoffs are here. The NFL draft is just a mere three weeks away. And uh, we have a lot to discuss this week as we normally do. And who better to do that with than my good friend and co-host of this podcast and also the sports director at KORN Radio there in Mitchell. Uh, it's Travis Krenz. Travis, how are we doing? We're doing good. I think this is the third hundredth episode of this podcast. Woo-hoo! I think. Wow. Now, does that think that we are are we including the radio show in there or no? No, just no, podcast. This is just after this, uh, I believe this is just after. I think so. This is post Brookings era then, where we so it's just Fargo and. I mean, like five. Uh, yeah, about five years, fifty-two point? weeks in a year. Five times five, two fifty. Well, we've been doing this for at least six years, I would yeah. guess. Well, yeah. When did I move? I moved to Fargo in 2015. So yeah, that would be that would be you know six and a half years. Yeah, that would put it right on the docket here. Well, very cool, very cool indeed. Uh, how you been? There's a big winter storm approaching. I remember a few years ago that you guys, you know, in South Dakota and Mitchell got hit with a pretty nasty uh, April blizzard. Seems like you might be escaping that while it's going more further north in Bismarck and uh, and western North Dakota, but certainly I got to think it brings back some memories to that. It was like it was two years in a row, and then here we are again, kind of in the middle of April, and there's another huge system. We're gonna we're gonna get a little bit, you know, maybe maybe half inch of moisture total, but I don't know what it is about this time of the year in recent history. Where at early spring, it seems like winter's over, and then you get more snow than you've ever seen in your life. You know, we're talking two feet of snow up in North Dakota in some spots. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it is. This is becoming a trend. And, yeah, things have kind of dissipated. We were thought, we thought maybe we'll get an inch. We'll probably get an inch of rain, and it'll be nice. It looks like now we'll get, like, you know, just a little bit. So not as nearly as much as we needed or we wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the, the forecast has kind of went north with the snow, and I guess northwest Iowa. They'll get maybe some thunderstorms and are kind of getting left in the middle with not as much as we need. So I don't know what has been the deal here, but, you know, it happens a couple years in a row, and then it happens like a third year, maybe three out of five years, where you get – a huge, huge snow system. Sensing a trend. Yes, I don't know what that what that is, what that means, but it's, it's been it, because I because growing up when we were old, second when we were young, mm-hmm. I never remember April blizzards or April snowstorms of you know you're getting two feet of snow. We got it was 15 inches or so mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So I don't remember that, but it's. Pretty much bank on it here last last five years. I mean, I remember the winter of I think it was ninety seven and ninety eight when yep. it started with the big old ice storm on my birthday. Uh, I remember yep. I got the ABC football soundtrack uh, CD. Oh, very exciting! Yeah, that was great. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, but we had to travel back from Brookings because the weather was so bad, and you know, from Brookings to Marshall takes about an hour, and. That time I take it took us like two two and a half hours. It was so the the, the weather was so bad there, uh, and then you had all the storms and the cold weather and stuff. And I think we went into into like mid June for school because we had so many days 
uh, called off and stuff. I mean, it was great that that winter for kids. I mean, it it was it was, it was a holiday. It was just a dream come true. I remember that it was 2007. It was our it was our freshman year, spring break. We had that big, huge, yes. huge blizzard. Yes. Yeah. And people getting out of town. People stuck in Brookings. I believe that's the only time I remember school getting canceled in Brookings. Yeah. Yep. Didn't happen any other time that I can recall. That is the worst weather I've ever driven. Really. I had, my glow, I had my green Taurus at the time, blue green Taurus, and we, me and a couple of buddies, Dan Beck, and we, we all left. We all met at the at the gas station there, right outside of, right by the interstate. Yep, the BP. Oh, yeah, we had, yep. We're all kind of, we're gonna go together here, try not to die. Um, we left kind of mid morning. Mm-hmm. We all got out of the parking lot. There was a convoy of cars. You were going on maybe 40, 45 on the interstate. And, you know, an hour drive took at least double that. Yep. And once you got off the interstates and you get on the country roads, I remember there were a couple couple times for a couple seconds, I couldn't see anything. Oh, my. And finally made it home. And I remember, like, listening to the radio on the way home, and they were saying, at noon, shit's gonna, the interstate's going to shut down. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know... Coming up on the noon hour, like, all right, I gotta, gotta hightail it out of there. Here pretty soon. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was yeah, that was a weather event that was uh, significant. I always remember. I remember that, and I remember the student. Yeah, like, as you said, it was like a convoy or a caravan. Like there yeah. were students saying, "We're you know, we're all just gonna get, get in on this together and just drive home and just in one line." It's almost like uh, at the Summit League tournament yeah. when. Uh, speaking of weird weather, weird weather always happens at the Summit League tournament, whether it's a winter storm or a thunderstorm or just really hot weather. It, it's something always weird come Summit League tournament time. But it's like at, you know when on a Tuesday night when fans are driving driving back to Brookings after uh-huh. the Jack Rabbit wins, like you know that everyone's you know going back to Brookings celebrating and stuff in their cars. It's a it's a big caravan. It is. I would say that's the same with Vermillion, but they don't show up for the game, so it no, doesn't that, that's true. really affect them as much as it does. Yes, speaking of, fans, but yeah. right. Speaking of of SDSU and Jackrabbit fans, let's just start there because there's some significant uh, news on the basketball front of uh, last weekend. Uh, and I'm gonna defer to you for the last name oh. of this guy because I'm gonna. Is it Matt Mays? M O H S? Is it pronounced Mays or is it Mose? Moore's. More, more. If you were a Seinfeld fan, I make a Seinfeld joke. Uh, well, you there can make a, it anyway. It's going to go over my head. <laughs> there was a Seinfeld episode about the Bubble Boy, and um, a guy who was immunocompromised—I guess you would call it—so he had to live in a bubble. And his his dream was to meet Jerry Seinfeld, so he set that up. And Seinfeld couldn't quite get there, so. You know, as George Costanza, his buddy, mm-hmm. got there first, and they were playing Trivial Pursuit or something, and they were talking about something, some mid-eastern, middle, medieval-type war. It was like the Moors and the Moops. Um, Bubble Boy said the answer was the Moors, but George Costanza said the card said the Moops. No, it was the Moops, not the Moors. And they got in a big fight, and his bubble deflated, and they had to send the bubble boy to the hospital. So that's besides the point. The <laughs> Moors and the Moops, Matthew Moores would be on the Moore side. 
I don't know why oh, I was whatever. thinking Mays. I, I, of course, it's Matt Moore's. I like that. Whatever. That I mean, that's uh, just chalk one up there for me again. But regardless, a very, very significant transfer. And by the way, George yes. Costanza played by Jason Alexander for the for the right. Yes. Yes. There we go. Correct. I, Correct. I know some Seinfeld. No, some Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld played by Jerry. By Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. No. Yes. Uh, and Elaine, Jerry, uh, Julia, Louise Dreyfus. So there, there we go. Um, and Kramer. Played by some guy. Uh, anyway. Michael Richards. Michael yes. Richards. Yes, thank you. And uh, he had a little incident in Hollywood at a comedy club, yes. racist, everything like that. Anywho. Um, so, Matt Moore, this is a big get because not only did the Jackrabbits need to fill a spot with Doug Wilson leaving, they needed a big. They needed a, a big post presence inside. But this is a guy from Yankton, dominated in high school. You saw him, I believe, a few, at least a few times. He gets a, a an offer from Wisconsin, so he goes to Madison, red shirts last year, and decides to come back home. He, uh, he, he decided to enter the transfer portal. His girlfriend goes to SDSU, and so who I think is this? I don't know. Do you know who his girlfriend is? Because I don't. No idea. No idea. I see her, and I don't. I should find like who specifically is is this person. So yeah. So I I think a lot of people were kind of connecting the dots, like oh he, he might he might land here, but there was also it's also the fact that this guy was recruited by Wisconsin. Like he's going to Wisconsin. There's a guy from Lincoln I saw who's going to Purdue. So it's not like it, this is uncharted to, to be going to a, a Big Ten school. Where you get highly recruited. So he could have gone anywhere. The fact that he's choosing to go back to his home state, to South Dakota State, where it obviously fill, fills a need, but you, you pair him up if Baylor Shireman comes back, depending on how what he hears from the draft process. You have Alex Arians. You have Zeke Mayo. Like There's a lot of good pieces already to this SDSU team, and I think now the expectations have – have increased even more because of this addition. Yeah, there's been, you know, being in Mitchell past five, six years, there's been players that I've seen or heard of that have been around here that have gone to SDSU. Like Macy Miller, you know, high expectations. You figure she's going to be all-time leading scorer, all this stuff. That's what happened with her. Mm-hmm. You had Maya Sellen. Maya Sellen's had a good career. She, what, she was conference player of the year a couple years ago. It's probably your favorite to win it. She'll be in our first team all conference if she stays healthy. I, I saw her a couple times. I feel confident she's going to be, and she's been she's been very good. Then Matthew Moore's he would be another one. Probably the first one I guess for me on the men's side. I feel like he's going to be a conference player of the year. He's going to be he's going to be very good because mm-hmm. he he's got size. He can shoot outside. He, he's just a big son of a gun. He's at six seven when I saw him last, and like he could shoot a little bit, and he could be inside. So he was, and yeah, he went to Wisconsin, and he was the highest recruited guy for quite some time in South Dakota. And for him to, he was homesick, wanted to come home. That's fine. And he picked SCSU, and I'm like, Jesus, this is. That's a big deal. That's mm-hmm. a big deal because somebody for him to come back and go to SDSU when he was a Big Ten guy, and they've gotten recruits from Nebraska or Wisconsin before. They've gotten some transfers who who have played at 
those schools really yeah, haven't uh, done much. Char- Charlie Easley, right? Charlie really Easley. He yeah. didn't do anything in Nebraska really comes here. And he's a role player. And you've had, uh, what, George Marshall? He was at Wisconsin. Yes, yep. And he had, and didn't do anything. He comes here, has a nice career, nice, nice couple seasons. So they've had that before. But, yeah, Matt Moore, was, when he was, it was recruiting process, it was like, what what Big Ten or Big 12 school is he going to go to? you going to go to Iowa, Iowa State, Wisconsin? Like, where is he going to go? Because it, it's way over South Dakota State. Sad. They don't have a chance at him. Mm-hmm. Then he transfers and he ends up coming here. I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of the difference of you can go to a big power five school, you can be there, you can be a guy, or you can come home, be an in state guy, and potentially be one of the one of the best players they've ever had. So that's that's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it Colton Iverson went to when he went to Florida. Minnesota, and, and, and he had a good he had a good career. Yep. I mean, it wasn't player of the year, but he was he was the only uh, solid starter. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to you know top five score and all that stuff. I think he's going to be a conference player of the year. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be their best player in a year or two. I think he is he's excellent. He's the best player I've ever seen high school here in my short time. And that's high praise. He's he I mean he's by far the best and. Obviously, he went to Wisconsin, and he was number one kid in the state. ESPN had him as a four-star recruit. I mean, guess SDSU never had a four-star recruit before. Uh, they had him, I guess, 26 nationally at the power forward position two years ago. So he's the biggest recruit they've ever gotten, and mm-hmm. I think he's going to do very well. Well, and like I said, it's not even just the fact that he's a big guy, a like, great recruit that chose SDSU, but it's the fact that he fills a need in the, for this team with Doug Wilson leaving. Again, you have all these other pieces around him. I mean, that's added pressure. I, SDSU, if they hadn't gotten more, would have been the, the favorite, I think, anyway, assuming that Baylor Shireman comes back. But now that he, But now that they get this guy, like the expectations are going to – you know, keep increasing. Like we would expect at some point here to very soon to get a win in the NCAA tournament. Not only make the NCAA tournament, but get a win. So I, I would imagine that you're going to see some increased, uh, like maybe big or power five teams, power conference teams in the non-conference scheduling. Maybe a Creighton in there. I mean, Iowa State. We'll see if that. That happens, but I would expect the the non conference to be ramped up a little bit here in order to prepare them, uh, you know, or help increase the, their seeding potential for the NCAA tournament. But now it becomes that hey, we need to win an NCAA tournament game. That should be the expectation. And the other thing too here is that I can't. I think it's it's a great get for SDSU, but I think. If Jackrabbit fans expect that Moore's going to be staying here for four years because he has four years of eligibility left, I think that's I think that's far fetched. Let's enjoy the time that we have with him, whether that's one year, two years, three. It it depends, but I expect that this is going to pay immediate dividends for the Jackrabbits, and hopefully, it finally gets them over the hump of winning uh, in the NCAA tournament, provided that they win the Summit League championship. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's here for good. I think he'll stay all four years. That'd be great. And for him, yeah, him to come right away, boom, be a guy. Um, I don't know if he'll be a starter right away, but I think he'll be a starter by the end of the season. So he's. Um, it's exciting. 
it's exciting to get somebody of that caliber that's not too far away. So he is, yeah, when I saw him, when we saw the news a couple of weeks ago, WNIT games, he was there checking that out. So it's exciting for him to come. It, it excites me to see him. He'll be able to see him. Sure, we're done all right at Wisconsin, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, maybe he can become the next Mike Miller. Will, will he make the NBA? That's how good of a thing he, a player he was. Will he? Well, I don't know if that's far fetched, but will he make the NBA going, mm-hmm. going somewhere? So we'll see what type of a career he has. But yeah, it's because he started as a seventh grader, or he was on the varsity as a seventh grader. His dad's the superintendent. As a freshman, Yankton won the state title. Yeah, it was 2006. So he's a freshman. He's by far their best player. They went in 2006. They, they never won it again. Last year, they, they lost in the semifinals. His junior year, the COVID year, they were uh, probably the favorite. And they were the one seed. So they may have won it that year. Mm-hmm. So they only won one state title as a freshman. And scoring records, he had he's a lot of scoring records. and He scored a ton of points. So yeah, he was he killed Mitchell. Couple times I saw him, he was just a monster. So it will be exciting for him to to be at SDSU. Yes, absolutely, and fans should be excited. And also, then the women, uh, they get someone from Utah. Who's this? Drew Gilton? Is that correct? Gilton? Gilton? Uh, Gilton? Drew Whiten, I think. Okay, from Rapid City. Uh, so I apologize for, yeah. for getting the name wrong there, but that's a good get for SDSU, you know, you're yeah. coming back closer to home. So the Jackrabbit women add another piece to it. It's just, I think it, we have many months before the start of the college basketball season. It just got done last week. But I think there is certainly a palpable excitement and the expectations and maybe the, the just the excitement and the energy level is going to be uh, taken up another notch this upcoming season for the Jackrabbit men and the women. Like they, they are, I would say they have to be considered the prohibitive favorites on both the men and the women's side headed into next year. Barring anything that happens that changes now between uh, today and November. Right, the women should do what the men did last year and sweep the conference. Yep. They lost to USD twice. That shouldn't happen next year. They should not lose or be competitive with any other team. So, you need to go 21-0 and in the conference next year for the women. And yeah, Drew Glyton, she's from Rapid City, went to St. Thomas More. They've got a bit of a dynasty in Class A girls basketball where they win it most years. They won it last year. They're like a 4-5 seed this past season. And they produce a lot of really good college basketball players. And I'd forgotten, I'd heard of her from years ago, and I, you know, she's, you know, a grad transfer, so she's about done with her career. And she had a good career in Utah, and uh, looking at her numbers, she had a bunch of assist records, I believe, for Utah. So, assuming she'll be in that point guard role for SDSU. And yeah, they're loaded. Haley Timmer. I think also went to that school, St. Thomas More, same school there. So I don't, I don't know if they played together or not. Maybe they crossed paths. I'm sure they know of each other. So that's exciting. They got Maya Stellan. You got everybody else back, uh, mm-hmm. basically, yep, except uh, Meyer will be healthy at some yeah. point. So Tally Irwin's basically the only contributor that you lose. So 
even yeah, on the women's side, I feel like you know, you feel like they have to win two games in the tournament next year. You feel like they got to go to the Sweet Sixteen again mm-hmm. with the way this team is loaded. I feel like that has to happen. They're going to be in the in the Battle for Atlantis tournament as well. Very good. Um, that that is, and then they got that's some big time competition. They got UCLA in there again. <laughs> I, wanna, I know you want to play them again. We'll see what happens. <laughs> They got now. Well, they got Tennessee. I think they have. Mm, that's. that's I, think, I think Louisville's in there. Holy so you're talking. Crap. Yeah. They're talking some Final Four teams, some Elite Eight teams. Yeah. Tennessee, Louisville, UCLA, SDSU. I think maybe a Rutgers. So you've got some teams in that tournament. And that's the tournament you look at, and hopefully you can win at least a game out of there. Isn't that just great, though, that South Dakota State is in this field or is being mentioned along with the greats like Louisville and Rutgers and Tennessee? I mean, it's just, it's fantastic, and UCLA. Uh, I mean, it's it's fantastic that that's where this program is at now. I mean, obviously teams kind of come to Frost Arena in part for the the atmosphere the energy that the fans bring because they don't see these types of crowds that they would you know at home or other places on the road and that's what aj has done and in, in building the culture and everything there and the success that he's had but it's just great that they're even you know considered in this tournament with with those teams so that's exciting and for the men so to, to, you got to win a couple of those games. You know, you played Washington last year. They weren't very good. You lose to them mm-hmm. in Sioux Falls. You lose, to, you lose to a really bad Idaho team. Yeah. So for the men, well, they, they need a couple of those wins. They don't play nearly as tough of a schedule as the women. And the women get a couple of those nice wins to boost their resume. Mm-hmm. And if you're SDSU men, even if you go somewhere and, and you lose a game, I'd rather play those than just playing some, you know, podunk uh, team from the big sky. You know, you played, you played Alabama this year. Alabama was a pretty good team. You were competitive. If you could play, you know, two or three games like that instead of just one, that'd be nice. Well, that's why I think Iowa State and Creighton make a lot of sense. I think, uh, like, Iowa State, for obvious reasons, with T.J. Otzelberger. Yeah, he's not – he doesn't have the stone stuff. I'm sure he doesn't. But it's not, not in the slightest. <laughs> but it doesn't mean SDSU won't try. But I, I think if I, if I remember correctly – Greg McDermott knows uh, Coach Henderson, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see Creighton be added as part of the non-conference scheduling. It's close enough, uh, you know, it's close enough drive. I think that would be a very good matchup, and Creighton's supposed to be really good next year, like top ten good. So I would, you know, it would like be great to see to that. play the Gophers every year on both sides, but when you beat them every year, they don't like that. They're chicken so it's <laughs> they are. I mean, you can't be that dumb. I mean, the woman would destroy them. Right. And I feel pretty confident the men would win. The men, they beat them a couple times there in the Nate Walters years. Mm-hmm. They're like, God damn, they beat Minnesota. And Minnesota was probably better back then than they are right now. So you're just not. Again, there's a lot of area teams to play in Nebraska and Minnesota, but they don't want to play us because there's a likelihood they're going to lose. Yeah. So. St. Louis would be another team I would wouldn't mind. And St. Louis is getting some good transfers, so that would be a, a significant uh, 
I think game. So that I, yeah, I, I want to see what SDSU can do. I'm sure they'll they'll take on like a Pac-12 school like in Arizona or you know maybe a Colorado or something like that. But it'll be interesting. Other other news quickly here on the on the Summit League front. Uh, USD has named their new women's head coach Kayla Carius. Is that how you? That's what I would go with. Okay. Curious. She is the 11th women's head basketball coach of the Yotes. Uh, She was an assistant under Don, who is now the head coach at West Virginia. So familiarity with USD, I think that was certainly a reason for it. You try and keep Uh those recruits. So I I can't imagine that USD is going to take too far of a step back considering this move. Yeah, I would imagine they will be just fine. They'll be the second best team, and some other team proved to me that you can compete with these other two because mm-hmm. it hasn't happened. Now, some other team proved to me you can compete with the Bison and the Jackrabbits. Oral Roberts has kind of been in that mix, but this year, I mean, we didn't see that. And you know, it's just, it's it's same old story on both sides. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, I don't uh, see that changing changing. Anytime soon. Uh, Coach Cremens from from you or from Oral Roberts on the women's side. She was fired. Or the Misty, was Misty Cussin? Misty Cussin. Why did Cremens? What am I doing here? Oi. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. So your pressure. Yeah. Well, I'm wilting under the pressure. <laughs> wilting under the pressure. Who knows? Is she gone though. Uh, but hey, Austin Parkinson is back. Not I really. know. As Marcus uh, Marcus alerted me, and then you alerted me. He has left for, uh, what, where the hell did he go again? Butler. He didn't even yeah, have Butler. to leave the city that he's in. He was at IUPUI. He goes to Butler, who was 1-27 last year. But um, we're big. I'm a big fan of Austin Parkinson. Yeah. So, like, uh, good luck for him. Or, you know, best of luck to him for doing that. But, yeah, it's, it's great. He didn't even have to travel more than four miles down the road. Uh, so, you know, moving expenses, easy. There are, there are none. So, yeah, it's good for him, and uh, kind of like the uh, the St. Peter's coach, where he went to Seton Hall, and mm-hmm. that is not that like less than ten miles away. So, yep, get a new job, make twice as much money as you ever made, and you really don't even have to. Uh, you maybe upgrade your home, but you don't have to sell it. Right, so. that's exactly right. And then also, just if I may quickly, because the transfer portal again is ridiculous. It's stupid the way it all goes, but. There is a team on the men's college basketball side that is made. We're familiar with last year that or this past season. Wyoming has added three players from the Pac-12, two from USC and one from UCLA. These are huge gets. There, I don't know how they're recruiting them to Laramie, Wyoming, but Wyoming is going to be a team to be reckoned with. Last year, I mentioned them multiple times throughout this season that hey, watch out for this Wyoming team. They barely squeaked into the NCAA tournament, lost in the play-in uh, game to Indiana. But Wyoming going to be a factor next year again. Watch out for the cow, uh, the pokes. I'll believe you. You liked them this year, and they seem to be better this year yes. coming up. So. There's that. Anything else we need to get to regarding this significant SDSU news? Yeah, it's exciting. You know, you're going into April and you're talking recruiting stuff and transfers, and that's exciting. So yeah, it's yeah. They're gonna I mean, yeah. They, they they built something very good right there. So like, it would be cool to have you know SDSU in that NIT just on the men. Obviously, you want to get to the NCAA tournament and win a couple games there and do as well as you can. But mm-hmm. just I mean. I, We've seen what the women can draw. Just imagine what the men would do against 
teams like that, you know, your but here's middle the, of the road yeah. max schools or your, you know, your, your, your bottom of the road, big 10 schools. If you, if that ever happens, if you could get them into frost arena, that would be just, you know, those crowds would yeah. be probably on par. Cause when we talk about crowds, we usually talk about the women Yes, and not the men, even though the men, they do outdraw the women when it comes to the conference tournament and, and those crowds with the men are great on a, you know, Saturday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they could, and also in the, in the, the, the NIT, if they could get in that position where they are one of the top teams that are left out, you know, if that mm-hmm. ever, if, if that were to ever happen, they could host some games in the NIT, that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, if they couldn't, I think the, the diff- I think the difference, though, between the men's NIT and the women's NIT is that the women's <laughs> NIT is a bid. Like, you bid to host the games. I don't think that's the case on the men's side. They seed them 1 through 8 and stuff, up to 32. And so SDSU would need to be a significantly higher seed, and then I think it plays out bracket-wise like that. Uh, And plus the semifinals uh, normally are in New York City next year. They're somewhere else. I can't remember where, but they're not going to be in the Big Apple. But you're right. I mean, it would be cool if they didn't make the NCAA tournament, if they were in the NIT to play some of these teams at home at Frost Arena, I think you would get a lot of people there. Um, I'm just looking at, like, Kello and their weather projections. This is for the northern, northwestern part of the state. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is from an hour ago. We're, you know, less than a day out. 2 to 10 inches, 5 to 15, <laughs> 3 to 8, 1 to 5. Blizzard. Watch, warning, winter storm watch, winter storm warning, 2 to 10 that don't tell me anything. Boy, that's five a good... to five to fifteen. Very sensitive system stacking. Very sensitive. Fifty miles one way or the other. Well, you know what? It, you, you give yourself that wide range so you can look good when yeah. anything within that range hits. So, so there you go. I feel like you got to give me a range of two to three inches for me to feel good. You give me ten inches, I'm not listening to you. Right. Like. Yeah, 5 to 15, that doesn't tell me a goddamn thing. Get back to me when you have a more uh, specific forecast in uh-huh. mind or on hand. Uh, baseball, it's uh, a few days old. Now, uh, let me ask you this. Are we going to do our hitter and ke- uh, hitter and pitchers of the week? Yeah, I think we can do that maybe in a couple weeks here once we get some, uh, get some sample sizes. I would say... Yeah, maybe not next week, but maybe the week after we can start getting into pitchers and hitters of the week. Very good, very good. We'll look forward to that and making that a staple of the podcast each week. Uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Kwan, Stephen Kwan making an early uh, bid for hitter of the week. Who's that? Uh, some guy for Cleveland, looking like he's Asian in uh, ethnicity. Uh, some Asian player for Cleveland. Okay. He's had a big, uh, big couple games, uh, major league debut against the Royals, so... Uh, we'll see if Stephen Kwan uh, continues his hot start. So, as of the recording of this podcast, and this very may well change here, one interesting note that I that I discovered while kind of looking through some stuff through the first weekend of the Major League Baseball season, there is only one team that is winless yes. in baseball, and that would be the Baltimore Orioles, who are right now, or last I checked, were beating your yes. Milwaukee Brewers 2-0 in the bottom of the eighth. So we could be five days into the Major League Baseball season and there wouldn't be a winless team or an undefeated team remaining. I can't recall the last time that was so quick to happen. Or is this more... Am it I, goes pretty quick. I mean, that... 
it, it was just it's it's remarkable to me how no one has been able to you know come up with a sweep or anything like that. Uh, apart from Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay has a um, I guess Tampa Bay is undefeated as well. They're undefeated. Baltimore is winless by virtue of them playing one another. So we'll see what happens with Tampa Bay, but no winless teams outside of Baltimore, and that could very well change here in the next 15 minutes or so as we re- continue to record this. Yeah, it's baseball, you know, that, that kind of encapsulates baseball that you don't get teams that get, you know, six, seven, eight, no starts, 10 and no starts. It just doesn't, doesn't happen very often. You get through, I mean, especially you get through a full week season, everybody's got a loss or two. Everybody's won a game or two. So it's baseball. It's a long season. And, yeah, you look at the standings, you're 2-1, and one, you're 2-2, two and two, you're 1-2. and two. It's, you know, everybody's done a little bit of both. So we don't want to get off to that 0-6, 0-7 start like the Twins did. Mm-hmm. You want to win a couple games, they finally did. So, yeah, and, of course, teams good or bad, you don't want to overestimate the uh, – the start of the season too bad until you get to that maybe first month and you can kind of look back and say all right you only won 10 games this month you maybe got to pick it up a little bit mm-hmm. well so speaking primarily on the twins they've scored one run only this season uh, of their 14 that was not via a home run like it's just incredible right now but they struggled to hit through to the first couple of games in their series against seattle they wasted good pitching uh, outings by uh, Joe Ryan and um, uh, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, thank you very much. I was blanking on the name there, but I mean, that, I mean, they had to face Robbie Ray of the Blue, uh, of the Mariners, formerly of the Blue Jays. He was the AL Cy Young winner last year, so that wasn't, I guess, all that surprising. Any takeaways from the first few games? Of the tw- Obviously, it's not time to panic, but. Um, I mean, they have a very difficult stretch here right out of the gate with a, a two-game series with the Dodgers here after their four-game series with the Mariners. They go to Boston for three or four. So it's it's difficult right away. You don't want to fall into too early of a hole. Yeah, it was very important. I thought that they played well in one Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the older good and the bad with the Twins. We saw the pitching was pretty good in the first game. And this offense was... Awesome in the third game Sunday with six home runs, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like we saw a couple of years ago when they hit more home runs than anybody's ever hit. Mm-hmm. Byron Buxton, you know, I'm waiting for him to get going, and then he hits three home runs in a row. Uh, first inning, second inning on Sunday, pitches inside, and he cranked it out, and they were out very quickly. Didn't go very far, but they were out in quick fashion. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, he's got, I think he's got three hits and they're all been home runs. So yeah, he could. He's in for a big year. That's exciting for him to hopefully be healthy. Jorge Polanco uh, maybe shouldn't strike out four times in a game like he did what Saturday. That wasn't very good. Yeah, Miguel Sano, who's been terrible. Uh, Gary Sanchez, he had a grand slam in that mm-hmm. first inning yesterday, so he's got the power. Yep. Uh, Polanco got one. Kepler, who's been awful, got one. Carlos Correa has got a couple hard hit balls. Not much to show for it. He had a big upper deck home run. So. Six home runs, some of those new guys hitting it. Um, Joe Ryan did okay. He was a little wild. Only gave up a hit or two, but walked more than he should. Mm-hmm. And Sonny Gray was kind of so-so. And uh, Bailey Ober yesterday got enough front support. So now we get to the back half of the rotation, which I'm concerned about. You have Dylan Bundy tonight, who I think is awful. 
So how does he go against Seattle? You got Chris Archer, who I wish wasn't on the team. And if he pitches against the Dodgers, that's just bad news. Bad news coming right there. Mm-hmm. Then you got Chris Paddock, who I'm uh, excited about. We'll see if he can turn it around. So I, probably one of these Dodger games probably going to get postponed, you would think, with the weather. We'll see what happens if it goes that far east. Yep. yep. So a quick little two-game series. We'll see what happens. And opener got postponed, pushed back a day to Friday. So some good things for the Twins. I'm concerned about the second half of the batting order. You've got this stretch where, you know, it's, you got Miguel Sano, who's lost weight but still sucks. you got Max Kepler, who's deteriorating every year, getting a little worse. You've got whoever is the catcher. They don't hit much at the catcher position for average. Uh, you got Alex Kirilov, who did very well in the minors. He struggled here. This really is his first full season. So that second, that second, those four or five after the, I mean, the top of the order is just great. You got three all-stars at the top. Gio Urshela has done well at third base. They've added him clean up a couple times. Once you get after that four spot, it's not been good. So that concerns me that you just go through that, and you're going to get a lot of outs and strikeouts and not a lot of opportunities there for that offense. And Tyler Duffy blew the save on Saturday. And you're like, this is what happened last year. Yep. I was just going to say like this, it's deja vu all over again regarding that specifically. Uh, I mean, when they, when they traded away, I think, you know, or, you know, Sergio Romo's no longer there. He isn't he with the Mariners now? Is that? Yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's somewhere both around. He's somewhere. He's, you know, older. He's a, uh, Veteran of bullpen guy, but but they don't have a, like a legitimate closer. But then you get this what Johan Duran, who's throwing. Oh my god! Like he, I mean, he throws the heat. Wouldn't he be best served to, to be a closer? Are they just working him into that spot? Because I don't know if Duff uh, if uh, if I mean oh they were they traded away Taylor Rogers. That's who I was thinking of. Um, in a in a uh, opening day trade with the Padres for Paddock, who we who we had talked about last week. I, I think that's going to be an okay move, but now you got to figure out your closer role, and clearly um, that didn't work out on Saturday. So could this Duran fella be someone that you that we could see in a closer position? Yeah, you would think so. He's he's who they got for Eduardo Escobar a couple of years ago from Arizona on a deadline deal, and he's come up and he's got big strikeout numbers, and he's primarily been a starter. He's like has 80, 80 minor league starts. He's only been in relief a couple times. But it appears he will be a reliever here maybe for his career. Yeah, but he, uh, first couple guys got on base. I'm like, oh, this you know cheeky debut. But then he just goes and mows them down, and they bring him up for another inning, which I liked a lot. And Yeah, he opened up some eyes. So, yeah, oh, you know, I think it's uh, Johan Duran. It rhymes, I think. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he, I was, he pitched in the opener, hasn't pitched since, and hopefully he pitches tonight because he's one of those guys where, yeah, I, I want to see him pitch again. It kind of 100 miles like, an hour, 96 mile an hour sliders, just shit moving all over the place. Is it kind of like an Araldus Chapman kind of, yeah. not, not necessarily the delivery, but it just reminds me that that heat and like, yes, he can get a little, um, a little wild at times, but uh, certainly he has the ability to, as you said, mow them down. It's the excitement that I had when, you know, Juan Santana was here and Francisco Lariano first came up. 
Uh, it's that type of, of excitement. Of, I want to watch it when those guys are on the mound. Mm-hmm. I don't care what else happens. I want to watch Santana, Lariano, and uh, if Duran, you know, if he becomes a starter or, or continues what he did in the minors and is a starter, I mean, that would be great. He can't mm-hmm. you know, maybe sustain that as a starter. But the thing about it is, like, starters aren't going five innings anymore. They're going four or five innings. Mm-hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a concern of mine anymore if a starter can't go into the sixth because they usually don't anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was impressive out of the bullpen. Bullpen, for the most part, did all right this series. They got one more game to go. So, again, the bullpen concerned me. And just the, yeah, like like the lack of hitting when it's on a home run. I'm yeah. fine hitting a boatload of home runs, but it'd be nice to not have to rely on that every game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. The Red Sox lose two of three to the Yankees. Uh, a walk off, I believe, by Josh Donaldson. One game that uh-huh. was that was big, and also big Yankees news that Joe Judge refused a two hundred thirty million dollar extension with the Yankees. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. Did I say Joe Judge? What is my... said Joe Judge? Oh my gosh! It's the same city. Wrong sport. Oh, Travis, what's going on with me today, Matt? You got Matt, you got Drew. Oh, my goodness, it's bad. Aaron Judge, yes, Aaron Judge, excuse me. Um, yeah, declined a $230 million extension with the Yankees. Some people are maybe a little perplexed by that, uh, saying, well, he's missed a bunch of games, averaging missed 39 games a season. Like He's obviously betting higher on himself, and... Thinks that you can make more money elsewhere. The the deadline for this said deal was opening day, and they didn't get it done. What do you think the concern level is for Yankees fans about Judge remaining a Yankee here after the season? Well, that's a lot of money, and I don't know why he wouldn't take that two hundred some million long term deal for the rest of his career. Why he would not say, "Sure, I'll take that." You don't know if he's expecting more. You don't know if he wants to go somewhere else. So I was kind of surprised he didn't accept that deal. Well, he's also not going to be able to play in at least nine games this season uh, with uh, when the Yankees play the Blue Jays up in Toronto. So because he's a, he's a team first, he's a leader stacking in a team first player oh. that he will miss. So he will miss. Uh, couple weeks worth of games so good well, for him. and we're going to get to our nba playoff talk here in just a moment um because there's another significant factor here too coming up in one of the playoff series out east between T- toronto and philadelphia but anything else from the baseball uh opening weekend i mean obviously it's not time to overreact or underreact to anything but uh we could get to that next week or the week after after we have a few more games but anything else of note stick out to you Blue Jays and Rangers played some entertaining games. Mm-hmm. A lot of runs. Blue Jays were down in the second game, seven nothing, and then five outs later they were ahead. So they've got a powerful offense. Uh, the Astros look good against the Angels. Of course, I like Houston, and I hate the Angels. So that was fun to watch. Rolander, he came back. He pitched well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know with Syndergaard, he was pretty good for the Angels too. So a couple of. Players that haven't pitched in a while came back and uh, pitched well. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting to have it have it back back on. So, um, watching watching as much as I can. So, wait, when did the Twins do that trade? Did we? It was it was opening what? day. It was it was opening yeah. day. It was Thursday that they made that move. And that I mean, 
surprising. You got rid of Taylor Rogers, your best bullpen arm, your de facto closer, apparently, and he's done excellent with the Padres in a couple of appearances. So it appears to me he was a free agent, and they weren't probably going to sign him. So they decide to trade him. And they get Chris Paddock, who I liked a lot two years ago as a rookie mm-hmm. and has not done very well the last couple of years. So hopefully he can turn it around. If he can just be a league average pitcher, I think it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just nice because I would assume he's going to be the start, one of the starters. So, you know, if, if Archer or whatever doesn't pan out, yeah. you would think that he could fill the role. And plus, if Durant can, can pick up the, the slack in the, in the bullpen, yeah. that's going to be... Uh, a big, I think, relief, uh, pun intended, for, for the Twins there. So that's good. So baseball season has begun. We have gone 45 minutes, and we haven't even mentioned the Masters once. So let's get to oh. that here. Scotty Scheffler, I think he should go buy a Powerball ticket right now, Crane. He could do whatever he wants to in the world, and, it, and it, he would come out a winner. He has won four times on the PGA Tour in the last 57 days, and that includes... The win over the weekend in Augusta at the Masters, he wins by three strokes. He double bogeyed the the 18th hole, three putt. It's fine, whatever. He finished at 10 under. Uh, he was just fantastic throughout the weekend. Uh, I don't know if we have a budding star. I'm not. Go- I'm not willing to go the route of uh, things I've said in the past, like regarding Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. I'm not going to do that. But I would be willing to wager a guess that this is this four win in fifty seven days is something that we will not see again in golf for many many years to come. I just don't see this sort of dominance like that that we're seeing from Scotty Scheffler right now. Yeah, considering number one before two months ago, now he wins everything. Shocking, he's number one golfer in the world now, and feel dumb for not picking him last week. So, I didn't watch any, I didn't watch a single second of the weekend. Once uh, Mr. Eldrick fell out of contention, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Because, yeah, again, Scotty Scheffler appears to be a great golfer, but as we talk about, I don't give a shit about him. Mm -hmm. If he's in contention, I don't care enough to... uh, Watch him. If he goes on a crazy run and wins like 12 tournaments this year, yeah, I'll probably, oh yeah, I I should watch this to see what this is all about. But what, Spieth didn't make the cut. Nope. Uh, DeChambeau didn't make it. Brooks Kepka didn't make it. So these guys, these are the top guys. I don't half of them don't make the thing. And Yeah, and Tiger shot 78 on the weekend, both in the third and fourth round. Now the weather... They played a, a factor in that, but it was just great to see Tiger Woods out on the course again. Like, and we, we didn't think he'd maybe ever play professionally again. And he's committed to the Open Championship at St. Andrews in July, so that automatically uh, increases my interest even in a tur- in my favorite tournament of the year. So uh, I'm all for cheering on Tiger there. He might play in the PGA Championship next month, depending on on what it is. But Scotty Scheffler again, yeah, he's just. Golf has so many good young players that it it seems very unlikely. This is a quick ascent to the number one uh, player in the world, and I don't think this is something that can be sustained, but maybe it is. Maybe we are seeing the next superstar. I'm not willing to, to, to say that at this point because I've been burned too many times in the past, but 
certainly four wins in 57 days is remarkable. He was great all week. And his chip shot on the third hole for birdie, uh, kind of a little bump and run. It was kind of a blind shot there. It totally swung the momentum in the match um, with with Cam Smith. And then Cam hits it in the water on the par 312. That wasn't good. It kind of knocked him Back the moment, maybe the moment of the the round though on Sunday of the of the day in totality was when Rory McIlroy made birdie out of the greenside bunker on 18. He chipped it in, and then Colin Morikawa did the exact same thing in the from the same bunker. Uh, so back to back birdies, no putts on the 18th hole for that group. Uh, and McElroy shot a 64 on Sunday. I think what's the eighth 64 ever shot on a Sunday at the Masters. Uh, he finishes alone in second place. So there was a little pressure on Scotty Scheffler there a li- for a little bit. But as I was watching this, and I just more or less had it on because I wanted to see, okay, is Scheffler going to collapse here at all, or is this going to be an, an easy win? And I got to tell you that it just loses a lot of its appeal the masters does on sunday when you don't have those close races like when it's just oh it, it, it i mean it's very unlikely we're going to see a, a jean vandeveld or uh you know rory mcelroy give up four six you know five or six shots in a matter of three or four holes there i guess there's always that possibility but when you don't have the the guys going back and forth either in the final group or within a few groups of one another it just it's like okay i'm watching it just to watch it i guess it, it there was no real excitement there um the latter stages of sunday's round because when i look i mean what shane lowry was third cameron smith made a run he was also at five under he finished third and Morikawa, which we liked and a lot of folks liked he had a top five finish and mm-hmm Scotty Scheffler does what he does. There are a bunch of guys I've never heard of after that under par. So, I mean, Tiger Woods, that was exciting the first couple days, and he just got worse as the weekend went on. Well, he was in so much pain. If you were walking, yeah. you were watching him walk up the hills, you could yeah. tell he definitely had a noticeable limp. I mean, he even said after the round on Thursday, like, wow, I'm gonna lots of ice. That's what I'm going to need, lots yeah. of ice. I mean, I know, I mean, at what point is it even, like, why is he doing this? He proved, all right, first couple rounds were good, and obviously you would assume this will be a trend of him getting worse the more he plays in a in a weekend. And would it, though? Like, I why, mean, put your, why put your body through this? We'll see if he gets better here the next six months or the next year, but why, why limp around the golf course shooting 78 on a Saturday and Sunday? You've got hundreds of millions of dollars you're 46 years old you've done everything you can what is the point of the love of the game doing this to yourself i mean christ love of the game goddamn leg almost got chopped off (laughs) i'm like you know what i'll play here and there but this is fucking ridiculous well he's just watching him walk up after the 18th hole and like through the gallery and just the smiles like we don't this is a whole new tiger woods you know the the old tiger was kind of a dick he was kind of an ass to put it uh nicely and now this guy's just more fun loving i think he's just it's more now for the enjoyment of the game and just to give back to the fans i still want him to compete i think you need to play in these tournaments if and he said it himself I, I'm only going to play if I think I can compete and win. So 
It didn't work out over the weekend, but, I mean, he was only, what, like seven, eight strokes back headed into the weekend. He was like in 19th or 25th place. I think it was a tie for 19th. It was very do. If he made an early run or early charge on Saturday in the cold, there, I, there's no reason why he couldn't have put a little pressure and been in contention on Sunday. It just it didn't work out that way. The most famous basketball player, most popular basketball player is a guy who hasn't played in 20 years. Uh, Michael Jordan. And that'll be the case with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, we, we all you know, Tom Brady is he the Michael Jordan? Is LeBron the Michael Jordan? Tiger Woods is the Michael Jordan. Tiger Woods, I feel like we forget about him. Mm-hmm. Somehow when we talk about, you know, we talk about Serena Williams and we talk about the men's tennis players and we talk about Tom Brady and LeBron James and all these people, Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Like Tiger Woods, Tiger and Kobe Bryant. Like Tiger Woods was the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. Yes, yeah, because whatever whatever Michael Jordan did, everybody had to watch it, and it was the biggest thing going. Mm-hmm. Whatever Tiger Woods does, even if he's not playing well, he's the biggest story. He overshadows everything because um, he's the best to ever do it. He's, so, he moves the needle, and maybe that actually helped Scotty Scheffler a little bit. Maybe he was a little irked by that, that no one was talking about him. Everyone was just talking about Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. Maybe. And yeah, you know, um, thing I thing I saw is that Tiger Woods doesn't move the needle. Tiger Woods is the needle. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, he is the needle. And you say nobody's bigger than the sport. I would say he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's for me because I don't care about anything except well, him. Think about the purses and stuff now that yeah. that these tournaments have. Why do they? Why are they as big as they are? It's because of Tiger Woods. The, what he did to golf was you know revolutionary. Yeah. He helped explode the popularity of the sport and increase the ratings, which increased the dollars. Like that's that's what he did. That's what he does. I think we have an understanding here with Stratton Kirk about you know, the the stars and the and and the golf debate, which we've had for many years now, many mm-hmm. years. And like he would he would understand this in a pro wrestling aspect of there are stars and then there are exceptionally talented pro wrestlers, but they're not always the same. Mm-hmm. Because we talk about how there's exceptionally talented golfers who are extremely good. That doesn't make him a star. John Rahm is not a star. No. He appears to be an exceptionally talented golfer. But I don't give a shit about John Rahm. Like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau paired up in a final round at a major. Yeah. That would draw major eyeballs. Yes. But if just one of the two of them are are in contention on Sunday, that's not going to do it. You need a, a certain set of parameters or factors in for golf to move that needle unless like, it's I, Tiger. Like, like Rory McIlroy, what makes him so frustrating is he can do what he did yesterday, mm-hmm. but he was so far back that it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He could put up a historic round, but his first three rounds were nothing nothing, nothing exceptional. So I would say he is a star. Jordan Spieth is a star. Phil and Tiger are stars who are basically their careers are pretty much finished. Other than that, I don't know who else would be a star. Like, is Dustin Johnson a star? Mm, probably not. Like, I, I don't, like, who else, you know? I, I think Kawa could become one, but. What, so, I mean, the stars maybe. are very limited. And, you know, Macro and Spieth, and they've, what they've done playing has been disappointing because they haven't won those big tournaments mm-hmm. in a long before. time. 
and with with wrestling, you know, Hulk Hogan is a huge star in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Was and is. He was not the best wrestler. He wasn't the best wrestler, technically, but he was the biggest star. So one has nothing to do with the other. How, how good you are at a sport is not determinant of how big of a star you are. Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was the most popular driver for decades, for a long time. Since mm-hmm. his dad passed, Dale Earnhardt Jr., extreme popularity. Mm-hmm. He was not the best driver. He was not even among maybe probably one of the five or ten best drivers. But he was yep. the biggest star. Yep. Popularity and personality. That's what Yes. That's yes. what will do it. Uh, well, a couple other things. Just going back to baseball real quick here. So, okay, congratulations. Scotty Scheffler winning the Masters, and we'll, we'll look forward to the PGA Championship in May, which by uh, I guess right now John Rahm is favored to win it, not Scotty Scheffler. So we'll see how that goes. Just back to baseball real briefly here. TBS apparently is doing games now on Tuesday nights. They're in a primetime game, so that's big. Uh, NBC is getting back in the mix or something with with a game on Sunday. It's going to start before noon even, so that's somewhat significant. And Apple TV apparently debuted a, a game between the, the Nets – or the, the, not the Nets, the Mets and the Nationals, and it was a colossal train wreck based on what I've seen in the reviews on Twitter. Yeah, the Apple TV thing, I tried to log in. I don't know my login, so I don't, whatever. If I can miss that game, that's fine. Um, um, it looks good. Uh, they've got, I think, the announcer from the Orioles, who's a female, the first... Really major league baseball female play by play lady who's kind of dry. Need a little something there. Um, so yeah, Apple TV that's an interesting thing. Uh, every Friday night they'll have two games on for a while. And yeah, TBS I think they're going to go to the I think their Sunday games once the summer gets here. But they got these random Tuesday night games here during the season, which is something because ESPN really doesn't show baseball anymore. Yeah, Mondays and Wednesdays night and Sunday nights, I think, are primarily it for for ESPN. And then you've got uh, Peacock, which is an odd deal through NBC. Peacock, it's at like ten thirty Central, eleven thirty Eastern in the morning, mm-hmm. and then no other game can be on for the next two hours. So the earliest start time would be twelve thirty Central time. Weird. So for so for two hours, that is the exclusive only baseball game going on for Peacock. So that's an interesting thing. And again, we're seeing all these streaming services pop up, mm-hmm. you know, Apple TV and Peacock. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that, see baseball kind of, they're, they're broadcasting uh, a, a wider net on the, on this broadcasting of baseball games. Well, will so, the eyeballs follow? That's the question, and I'm willing to bet uh, that for Apple TV it won't. We'll see what can do do for NBC. And Baltimore is no longer winless. They shut out your Brewers to yeah, nothing. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, terrible. Just a terrible start for Milwaukee. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, not they're great. They're great pitchers. Got shelled pretty bad with the Cubs, and now they couldn't couldn't score a run against. I'm sure whatever great pitcher they they went up against this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Let me find out uh, who was pitching for Baltimore on Monday. It's got to be someone just out of this world good. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see. Here we got uh, Baldwin. No, who the fuck is this guy? Well, Baldwin is Guy Baldwin got the win. Oh, who pit? Uh, 
Oh, fuck. Let's get this here. Some guy named Guy? Uh, Zimmerman was the starter. Bruce Zimmerman, uh, native of Baltimore, got the start. He went four innings. It gave up three hits, two walks, only pitched 66 pitches. And then some uh, reliever came in, Mike Bauman, from Manoman, Minnesota. There you go. A little Minnesota connection there. Uh, he got the win. So he went two and a third, gave up one hit, walked one, three strikeouts, 37 pitches. So he gets the win. Congratulations. I feel like as we move forward with you know starters just throwing four or five innings, and it's early in the season, but I think that'll be a trend here over the next year, a few, five, ten years. Starters are going to throw four to four to five innings. That'll be it. So I think your middle relievers, which were kind of just throwaway guys, will be more valuable. Those second guys that can come in and throw two or three innings, mm-hmm. those guys I think will be more valuable over the next decade and get bigger contracts. So. Yep. Yeah. Definitely, you can see a shift in how uh, we're seeing what these pitchers or how teams are throwing out their their pitchers on the mound, and you know for for how long and whatnot. So because there were all there were like four pitchers last year that threw over two hundred innings was all four of them, and they barely threw over two hundred. And Christmas. pitchers used to throw three hundred. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago, they would throw two fifty. Randy Johnson would throw two hundred fifty innings, no problem. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, this year we, we may not have anybody throw 200 innings, and it'll be very soon in the next couple of years where you won't see anybody throw 200 innings anymore. And especially with this slow start, I think it's possible we may not have anybody throw 200 innings this year. Wow! Wow! And I don't believe that is um, that's that's never happened. No, that that's very weird, very bizarre, to say the least. Uh, the NBA, the playoffs will begin here. We'll do a brief preview of that. The play-in tournament starts on Tuesday. You have the 7-8 matchup between the Minnesota Timberwolves. They'll host the Los Angeles Clippers at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Central Time on TNT. Cleveland Cavaliers, the 8 seed against the 7 seeded Nets. 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central on TNT. So you have the 7-8s the there. Then you have the 9-10s on Wednesday on ESPN, that would be the uh, Atlanta Hawks against the uh, hosting the Charlotte Hornets, and then the uh, I believe that's at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central on ESPN, and then the 10 seeded Spurs, San Antonio against the 9 seeded New Orleans Pelicans, 9:30 p.m. Eastern, 8:30 p.m. Central time on ESPN. What do you expect? To, will happen here in the playing games. Does Minnesota get the seventh seed? Do they get the eighth seed? Will they lose both these games? Because they'll get both games at home, which is nice. But what what do you think? They should win. I mean, they should they should win one of these. You know, you just take care of business. You beat the Clippers, and you're done. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, you should be able to beat the Pelicans or the Spurs. And I think you want to beat the Clip. Obviously, you want to win, just get it done with. But they would they match up much better with the Grizzlies because that's who they would play. That would be the seven two matchup. They match up far better with the Grizzlies than they would with the Suns. Yeah, you don't want to play Phoenix. So get the seven seed, see what happens. Ultimately, you want to be that three seed to play Golden State. Golden State's won five in a row now, so they've kind of you know they were it was it was a bad stretch for Golden State for about a month. Mm-hmm. So I mean between Golden State and Denver, that's the three six. When you got Dallas, Utah, the four five. Um, yeah, if you can play Memphis, take your shot against the Grizzlies, but. Yeah, you know, you, you would think uh, the Clippers and the uh, Timberwolves would both make it. How about in the East? Do you 
do you foresee the the Hawks winning? Do we foresee? I mean, the Nets should beat the Cavs. The Cavs have been hit by the injury bug significantly, uh, most notably to Jarrett Allen, uh, their big guy. Um, I gotta think it's gonna be. I would say it'd be Brooklyn and Atlanta would be my guess as to who wins. Yeah, I would go with that as well. I hope, they, I hope my Hornets do well. It'd be great to see them in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hornets forty three and thirty nine. They're a ten seed. Forty three wins for a ten seed. When some years that eight seed is under five hundred. Yeah. So in, in the East, yeah, this is a this is a much different year in the East than what we have been accustomed to seeing. And then you look at the Spurs and the Pelicans at thirty four and thirty six wins. Mm-hmm. With that nine and ten, like we don't need to go deeper than eight teams. Sometimes we don't even need to go eight teams deep. But to put those teams at nine and ten in, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, a team, you can almost lose fifty games and get in in the West. So yeah, the, the Hawks—they were the hot team in the playoffs last year, and they've not been nearly as good. So that would set up, I guess. Boston in the Nets. Not, not. No, I, I was open for Milwaukee in the Nets in that first round. I was open for yes. the. I was hoping for 76ers in the Nets. So you could knock one of these uh, godforsaken franchises out of here and just stop with all the the headlines and whatnot. So we're not going to get a huge monster first round series like that. But if you get the Nets in Boston, that would be good enough. You know, you get Miami versus one of these garbage teams. You know, you we're, we're not getting a huge. First round matchup got the Bulls and the Bucks. Bulls trending in the, in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Swept and, by uh, the Bucks Phil- this year too, no less. So, mm-hmm. and you got Philadelphia, Toronto, which is probably I don't know your best first round series. And Boston can... Nets should be fairly interesting. So, with with the Nets, you know, in that seven seed, you just don't see a team like that as the seven seed. So, you know, that, that sets up for uh, Philadelphia. And that's at Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the second round. Here's here's the intrigue, though, with Toronto and Philadelphia, is that similar to Aaron Judge, Kyrie Irving, unless he's gotten vaccinated here recently, he won't be able to travel with the team for their games in Toronto. And that is a major hindrance for the 76ers. Now, the 76ers are a better team. They should win. Wait. Yeah, they, they, they should be able to avoid them until the conference finals. So, is there a four or five seed? Brooklyn's a seven. Yeah, yep. Yeah, never mind. So, I, yeah. yeah. So, I you know. Don't know what I was thinking. Though there is so, someone. You know, who, I mean, it, it could happen in the conference finals, but. The, it, I wasn't. It, it's someone else, uh, not Kyrie Irving. I can't remember who it is, but there's someone for Philadelphia, you know, I believe, that. Maurice Thibault or something like that. Yeah. I mean, so Some, it's, not, it's obvious. It's not Kyrie Irving. I was. I, it's similar to like the Aaron Judge situation, though, where anyone who isn't vaccinated isn't going to be allowed to go into Canada to play these games. So you are hurting your team, however much this could impact Philadelphia. Um, but like if Brooklyn ends up having to play Toronto at some point, they would run into a similar situation. So eh, it's, this is it's a dicey situation all the way around. Yeah, just do the simple thing, get your shots, and be good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, I guess in the East, if I'm looking at the East, I think Philadelphia beats Toronto. I think the Celtics beat whoever. I think the Heat beat whoever, and I think the Bucks win. I don't foresee any 
upsets. I guess, though, the Nets would give the Celtics a run for their money. I think, like, that's that's the one, I guess, that if I'm going to pick an upset of any sort, it would be the Nets over the Celtics if it's the 7-2. Yeah, I guess I would go with Milwaukee. I mean, it's, you know, the same teams as last year. Milwaukee and Phoenix. No Miami. Miami doesn't do anything for me, but, you know, 53 wins is a one seed isn't a lot. Oh yes, so. yep. I agree. I think it's I think it's Phoenix, Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. And in fact, I'm going to take Phoenix over the field. Like that, Phoenix is just so much better than any of these other teams right now. And I I can't even begin to pick a team from the East because I think they're just going to beat up on one another. I think Phoenix is the heavy favorite, and rightfully so. I would take Phoenix over the field to win the NBA Finals. Give me Finals. Uh, Sue. Give me. Fifty-five percent Milwaukee, forty percent Miami, ten uh, percent Boston, five percent Brooklyn. Um, yeah, I, I hope Phoenix wins because I thought last year was their only shot. Well, they got another shot this year. Mm-hmm. They had sixty-four wins. That was eight more than Memphis. I mean, they were by far the best team. Mm-hmm. Phoenix, I mean, that area never wins. Their, their hockey team is awful. Uh, their football team hasn't done much. Their college programs are garbage. Mm-hmm. Win, sucks. Phoenix Suns, you got great colors. And, and please don't wear your black. I like black uniforms. Don't wear them in the playoffs like you did last year. Wear your, wear your purples. Wear your oranges. The Valley. The Valley can suck it. <laughs> wear, wear your normal uniforms, please. So, yeah, Phoenix. I th- get there. Anyway, I mean, hopefully, I would like to see Memphis make a run. Make a run, Memphis. Mm-hmm. John Moran, or if he can be healthy. You know, I mean, Golden State, you always got to give him a chance. Yep. They get hot. Steph yep. Curry comes back. You got to watch out. And, um, you know, Brooklyn's the biggest story and the star in the East. Philadelphia, I think, will implode like they always do. And I'll sit back and I'll laugh and I'll enjoy Philadelphia not living up to expectations. Yep. So, I would agree. My, my, Miami can definitely get there. I don't give a shit, though, about Miami and Jimmy Butler and anybody else they have. Yeah, I think, yeah, I again, if I'm going with true upsets here, upset potential, I guess I would go Nuggets over Warriors. As the as the most likely to happen if the Timberwolves don't play the Grizzlies, I'm not saying I, any of this has happened, but I think a seven over two, six over three is the most likely to happen. I think Dallas will take care of Utah, Phoenix will take care of whoever they play. But I, I think it's yeah, it's Phoenix and Milwaukee for me in the NBA Finals again. Uh, but it, it's Phoenix over the field. I, I'm taking it Phoenix over the field. And that includes the Lakers who are not in this, but they just fired their head coach, Frank Vogel, who is, I believe, a scapegoat because of LeBron James's terrible uh, handling being a GM, uh, trying to get Russell Westbrook. Like it, All of the moves that the Lakers made in the offseason had LeBron James's fingerprints all over them. He tried to assemble this mega cast of you know superstars or former superstars. They're all old as dirt. And LeBron was injured a lot this season. Anthony Davis was injured a lot this season. The Lakers, LeBron seems like he wants to move on. We'll see if that happens or not. I don't. 
he would need to go. I've, I've heard that, you know, he's wouldn't mind playing with Steph Curry and Golden State. That almost seems unfair at this point. Uh, you know, a reunion with Cleveland uh, for a third time might make some sense. But I think the Lakers right now is assembled and just the fact that they don't have a first round pick, I think I heard until 2025. They're in all. They're in a world of hurt right now. And LeBron James, I can ease, I can point the finger and say he is the he shares the majority, the lion's share of the blame for the Lakers' struggles this season because of the team that he helped assemble. You know what LeBron said today? What did he say? He says the Lakers' offseason roster moves are not his decision. Oh, also oh, he he's learned his lesson now and said. Oh, is he saying though they weren't or they won't be this year? Well, he's full of shit if anybody believes him that it's not his decision. He says that's the front office's decision. Obviously they may ask my input, but at the end of the day they make the decisions. And they're gonna um, do they're gonna bend over backwards to do whatever it takes to please you and make it and put a championship together. You wanted Russell Westbrook. He was terrible this year. Like that's just one of those things. That's why I don't like him as much as I should because of comments like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody believes you when you say it's not your decision. Of course, it, it's been your decision everywhere you've gone. You're the best player in the league. Cleveland's not bringing in Kevin Love and all these other guys just because. Mm-hmm. They're bringing them in because of you. If you don't want them there, they're not going to bring them in. It doesn't make any sense. Again, again every, it is... It's very obvious what he does. He has himself and two other All-Stars mm-hmm. everywhere he goes. It didn't work in Cleveland, so he left. Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. Went back to Cleveland. We already had Kyrie Irving. They needed another one. They got Kevin Love. He goes to the Lakers. We had Anthony Davis. They brought him in. Mm-hmm. And they traded folks for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Like we, we know what he does. He trades for All-Stars. Long-term, it's terrible. They'll probably get an NBA cha- a single NBA championship out of the deal. Well, they did. They already got that championship. <laughs> they did. So they got it, and they got what they wanted. But the Lakers, they, I mean, the Lakers always, the Lakers are never rebuilt. They will always reload, and they will trade for guys. And once LeBron, I mean, do you trade LeBron James? You might have to. What what moves? Uh, yeah, I'm seeing it here. Yeah, the, the LeBron says I'm going to take a hands off approach this off season. Well, good because your moves last year sucked. And what do you think that you can? What do you, what moves do you foresee the Lakers being able to make? They can't. They're pretty much hamstrung with all of these ridiculously high salaries from you know for guys that are old as dirt and no team in their right mind is going to want. And they don't have draft picks. They don't have the capital to be able to say, oh, please take this, you know, guy with $30 million off of our books and then, you know, just, you know, cut him like a few days later as NBA teams so often do, which I don't get it just annoys the hell out of me. But the Lakers don't have any capital. They have no wiggle room really to be able to do anything whatsoever. Who wants Russell Westbrook? None. Who wants him and why would you want him? He's gone enough places to where he's not an efficient player. He will get volume. He'll get his points and stats, and it'll be on 40% shooting, which is not what you want. His stats will look good. Then you look at him like, yeah, it's a lot of volume there, but not very efficient. And Anthony Davis, surprise, surprise, the guy who's always been hurt is hurt again. Mm -hmm. And we're finally starting to see LeBron break down with his ankle 
injury at the end of the year. And he's bad out what last couple weeks essentially. Well, but Davis said that he and LeBron can still be the core of a really good team or championship sure. team. Yeah, bro. Stop it. Just stop with that. I mean, Christ, they couldn't even make a, a ten team playoff field. Right. I mean that is that is embarrassing. They couldn't even make the ten team playoffs. He's what, forty six, forty seven, forty eight, forty nine games they lose, they were in any normal season, they're not even close to the playoffs. But for them, it came down to the to the final week because of the garbage playoff system they have now. But yeah, you—I mean—you would say LeBron probably has three years left at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, next year's season twenty. I don't think I don't think anybody's ever played twenty-two. Think about like Vince Carter or Kareem. There's a, there's a handful of guys who have played a certain number. I think LeBron will probably eclipse that. Well, because he wants to play with his son at some point. Yes. So. And, you know, his son's good. It sounds like his younger son is even better. But, like, I guess Vince Carter has the most 22 seasons. So I see LeBron playing three more to eclipse that. But his son seems to be good. But are you going to do your son a disservice by... You know, having him go to college for one year and then he leaves, whether he's ready or not, or whether he should or not. And at that point, I mean, do you want a season 23 LeBron James will be 41? We'll still be plenty good. But what are you getting at that point? So, seems like if you pick his kid, you will also get him as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, you know, I mean, you, you never count the guy out. Because I didn't think he'd win one with the Lakers, but you never know. That's very true. You do not. So we'll we'll see how the NBA play-in tournament shakes out. We'll see what how the NBA playoffs begin, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it more and do a little bit more a preview next week when we know all of the matchups. Uh, last thing I have here, and then if you have anything else, we'll get to that. But uh, very sad news on Saturday when. We found out early in the morning that Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was formally drafted in the first round by the Washington football team, died. Uh, he was struck by a car, and you know the reports, it, it still seems like we're not getting the full details yet, but sounds like he was walking across a highway or an interstate and got hit by a dump truck at... 6.37 in the morning, don't know the reason why, you know, this car breakdown, like, what? there's a lot of unknowns about this here, and I, I think it's fair to speculate to a degree, but I don't want to do that here, um, the, the bottom line is, a young man who wasn't even 25 years old, was going to turn 25 in May, lost his life in a tragic accident, and by all accounts, it seemed like, you know, he was training down in, in South Florida with with some teammates, and he was embracing the Steeler way, the Steeler culture and everything like that after a, a somewhat difficult stint in Washington, but given the, the toxic wasteland that is the Washington Commanders now, um, 
that certainly doesn't seem to have been a, a great situation for him. And uh, there were some tasteless comments made by a 90-year-old Gil Brandt on NFL radio. He should probably be done. Adam Schefter said something insensitive when first reporting the news on Twitter. He has since actually provided an apology on Twitter and within his podcast. So that's, I guess, somewhat significant because Schefter is facing the, the music now that he didn't do... Something, he did something wrong that he shouldn't have, and people got upset, and rightfully so. But again, the bottom line is, this is a tragic situation. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is uh, 24 years old, is gone uh, from this earth far too young, far too soon, uh, after a tragic traffic accident in Florida on Saturday morning. Yeah, it's a sad story. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, and they did. Um... Yeah, and they had their opinion, and Adam Schefter, I think, is just an idiot and continues to and continues to show himself like and that. ESPN is paying him $9 million a year for the next five years to do so. I would save them a lot of money by getting rid of him, Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Greenberg? Mike Greenberg. I would save you around $30 million by getting rid of those three guys, and nobody would notice a fucking difference at all. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't notice a goddamn difference. So with that, yeah, sad story. But then, yeah, with the details, you know, you can say it is sad, and you can say, you know, 24, 25 years old, regardless of whether he was a good quarterback or not, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, then you just look, okay, what what situation did you put yourself in? Why were you crossing an interstate? Um, I've, never, I've never in my life crossed an interstate. Because that is a goddamn dangerous thing to do, <laughs> even if you're in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, let alone you know Florida. And he got hit by a goddamn dump truck. Like yeah. his car didn't get hit by a dump truck; he got hit by a dump a garbage truck or something. A dump, like that, a dump right? truck is. That's why, like I say, the, the reports. It, I don't know if we're getting the full details. I don't know if they're going to release those or not. It, it seems sketchy. The last I last I had heard was it was a dump truck. So, I mean, so a sad deal. So how do you put yourself in a position to get hit by a dump truck on the interstate? You know, that's, that's not good. It's not smart. We'll see, you know, what, what really happened. But it's a, it's a sad story. It seems like, like football has these every once in a while. Like every couple of years, you know, it seems like a player dies. Mm-hmm. Um, this one you know, appeared to really strike a chord, though, with players around the league, especially within the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. I don't know if it's just because of how young Haskins was. I don't know if it's because, you know, how he was embracing, you know, this this second chance that he had after being released by Washington and and whatnot. It, it just felt like, you know, that Chase Claypool posted on social media, you know, the video of him with tears, visible tears, like and you could tell that these were real tears. These these aren't fake Hollywood tears. These are legitimate emotional tears of sadness uh regarding this accident. So Haskins clearly had an impact on the team on his team members, even if he wasn't the starter, and even if he hadn't been in Pittsburgh for a long time, he just was there. I think they picked him up in the middle of last season or something, um, or maybe he hadn't been in Pittsburgh that long. Is is the bottom line? Uh, but obviously, he had done enough to really make an impact on those around him on their lives. And yeah, well, uh, yeah, Sean Taylor, what he got shot what fifteen years ago now? Yes, yeah. And who was the receiver with the Bengals? Henry? 
Uh, Chris that, Henry, yes. Uh, he fell out of a pickup, like a pickup truck or something yes. weird like that. Yep. You know, and, and, and you get these stories, you know, it seems like every three, four years, you get know, like somewhat prominent, even if he wasn't a starter. Like, I mean, we all, he was a first round draft pick a couple of years ago as a quarterback. So people that you know of that, uh, that happens in football for whatever reason. Very young, very young in their you know, mid, mid twenties, late twenties, not even that old. Yeah. Just sad. Oh, you know, Corey Stringer. I mean, that's, yes. you know, that's an on, uh, kind of an on-field incident. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, though. Like, that's kind of what kind of started all of this, right? Like, that's a, the first name that I can truly remember of a of a guy who, who died in his playing career. And so I don't remember anyone prior to that. And, and Corey Stringer's, of course, was so the, the media grasped onto it because it was, you know, in the heat of training camp and – you know, whether or not, you know, did the team do enough? You know, he was dehydrated and all that stuff. And so that's almost a separate incident in and of itself compared to these other ones that yeah. we've just mentioned. But it's still, to your point, like, yeah, that that's the, the first one that we kind of remember. Yeah, so, I mean, we had Jose Fernandez, who I thought was going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher with the Marlins. Mm-hmm. He died with this cocaine boat incident where, like, it's hard to feel sorry for him to make such a dumb decision. The, the, and, you know, we've had we've had baseball players die like in car accidents in the uh, in Central America, Dominican well, Republic, wherever else. The, the Angels pitcher was it Tyler? Was it Scraggs or who? Yeah, he, uh, he Tyler Scraggs? I think yeah, he was yeah. an overdose of pills. We saw that a couple yep. years ago. So yep. yeah, you, you see that every once in a while, and, 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 it, and it sucks. It does. There's no other way around it. It absolutely sucks. Again, gone far too soon. So, um, yeah. That, there, I mean, there's really no good transition into it. There's no good transition out of it. But thoughts and prayers to everyone there within the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, the NFL uh, community as a whole, and, of course, to Dwayne Haskins' family and friends. Again, Dwayne Haskins, dead at the age of 24, gone far too soon. Um like I said, there's no good transition out of this. Uh, anything else that we need to get to here for this week? I mentioned during the beginning of the NBA season, like once we got to the playoffs, our wedding would be about two months away because game seven of the finals is the day after our wedding. Mm-hmm. So once I knew the playoffs were starting, we're getting within about two months, so we're like 68 days away. So you know, the closer we get along in the playoffs, the closer the date comes you getting nervous? you getting excited? What, yeah, you just, I'm just waiting for it to get done with and we can go on our trip. So was there was there like a date for you? What you got in uh, what, late October was for you, right? October 16th, yep. So was there like, oh, football season starting at September. My wedding is seven weeks from now, six weeks from now. Yeah, because I, I moved up to Fargo in, in the middle of June, I believe. Middle to later part of June, so that I think that was the more so than anything, like it, the the more so than the sports season or anything going. It's like okay, once I move up here, it's like we got you know three and a half months left of this, and it just so happened that you know that the Royals were in the World Series. I think that year in 2015, right? Uh, you know, father-in-law, big Kansas City fan, Chiefs fan, Royals fan. So I know he was so. Yeah, that kind of going on in the background, too, of like, oh, you know, this is, you know, they're making a big run here and whatnot. This is exciting. Um, I would say, though, it was more so when I moved up to Fargo that that was like, oh, my goodness, now the wedding is 
mere months away. So we're getting close. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. So about two months away. And also, twice this week, they've have you seen what they've replayed on the NFL Network? I have not. And they've replayed one of the more memorable games of my childhood. The was a, um, is it the Green Bay Minnesota Monday Night Football game? It was nineteen ninety eight. It was a very memorable game there in uh, middle of October, whenever it was Monday night between the Packers and Vikings. And the Packers coming off two straight Super Bowl appearances, and the Vikings. That was really their breakout performance that year. And, I mean, that game and the Dallas game with the two ones that stick out to me, the two big national games they had that year. What do you – what what's the more memorable Monday night football game against Green Bay? Is it that game with Randy Moss coming onto the scene with those two touchdowns his rookie season? Or is it the Chris Dishman uh, – Failed interception in the rain where Robert was. It, I think Robert Freeman caught it after Dishman. Antonio, Antonio. Oh my gosh, it's a bad. It's been a bad week, Chris. A bad week here for names. Uh, thank you. Is it obviously that was so memorable? I got the guy's name wrong. What 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 game is more memorable? Which of those two? Uh, for me, oh, it's the first one because I don't remember anything about that second game besides the last play of the game. I, I couldn't tell you anything about that game. I know it went in overtime. That's true. Very true. It was. It was. I think it was two years after. So it was two thousand. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't. Rem- yeah. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember anything about that game besides that final play. So for me, remember, boy, was because I remember plays from that first game. Yep. And there's a lot of old games that are played in. I, I really like this one. And I want to watch more of it because it, it was. It was the second quarter where they went nuts. It was like three nothing, three to three, first quarter, second quarter, not much going on. And then they just explode for one of the great quarters you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. And they went like thirty seven to ten, just creamed them. And I'm I'm listening to the game early on, and it was we had Al Michaels, you had mm-hmm. Dan Deardorff, and you had Boomer Sice with the three guys. Really? And, was Boomer Frank Gifford was out at that point? I believe so. 98, that's who it was. And this was early in the game, and Brad Johnson had gotten hurt in, what, week two against the Rams. Yes, yep. And Cunningham comes in and, and does what he does. Mm-hmm. So this is, what, the fifth, sixth game of the season, this Packer game. So we've got, you know, we're a couple games into this. And, you know, they're saying they're showing Brad Johnson on the sideline and saying, all right, when he comes back, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to be the starter and whatever, I don't even collarbone, whatever the injury was. And Boomer Sison's like, Randall Cunningham's playing pretty well right now. I'm not so sure he's not your quarterback. Why would you mess with this? And Dan Deerwolf is like, you're trying to start a quarterback controversy. Danny Green doesn't like that. <laughs> Brad Johnson's coming back. And I'm like, listen to this, I'm like, no fucking way Brad Johnson's coming back to this team. The way this, I mean, who knows how well they would have done with Brad Johnson as quarterback, but they would not have done as well. I mean, it's just amazing what Randall Cunningham did. Yes. Just one of the, probably the the most beautiful deep ball I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And there was a play. I mean, Moss and him had huge games. I think Cunningham had 414 yards. Moss had like 180 and the five catches. 
first drive of the game, there was a 75-yard touchdown pass that got called back to Moss. Oh. Like, you add that, Cunningham would have nearly 500 yards. Moss would have had 250 yards receiving. I think that it was a long drive that ended in a field goal. But, yeah, just a great game to go back and, and watch. And I thought that was interesting that the broadcasting back and forth. Oh, yeah, Brad Johnson's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Like, no, he, and Boomer Sison was like, no, he probably shouldn't. He should probably stay with Cunningham. And in the moment, who knows? Uh, that's something that I forgot about. But it's interesting to go back and see what they were saying at the time to what actually happened so i the, the game that i remember most from that season that i watched the most i think in terms of the highlights and stuff was thanks the thanksgiving day game against dallas With, yeah that was great i mean they were 10 and 0 at that point they were rolling yeah three catches 163 yards and three touchdowns for randy moss i mean how he only had three catches is beyond me um but yeah, yeah you just look through that season they rolled over everyone and i do remember the loss because i got uh it was first communion for me on yeah. that, that day, and that was the only loss against Tampa Bay November 1st. First communion, first loss, uh, only loss that season until Atlanta. I was, yeah, on the back half of 10, year old, 10 years old, I remember where that, I remember where I was watching the Tampa Bay game. I wasn't at home. It was mm-hmm. somebody else's house, and the, and the one game they lost. Like, I remember where I was watching these games. I remember right. that Monday night. I remember that late uh, Sunday night game, late Against Jacksonville, they, they put up 50. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember all of these games. I mm-hmm. remember they played the Bengals. It was on CBS. Bengals were bad. They, they, they only won 24 to 3. Yep. It's like, I was at that game, I believe. That, you were at that game. Like, we can't put up 40 points against the Bengals. <laughs> they played, uh, what did Vanderbilt the last game yes, against they the Titans? Did against they Tennessee. The points yep. record. Mm-hmm. I remember, obviously, the, the last game of the year was. I think it was my birthday the day after my birthday. Yeah. Uh, right or my mom's birthday, right around my birthday. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, I mean, yeah, were, I, mean I, I remember the Tampa Bay game to begin the year, and Moss had his two touchdowns from Brad Johnson. Yep. Remember the, the Rams game? Rams are pretty shitty. They won 38-31. Like, you remember, I mean, that was the first. I remember the previous season a little bit. I remember that, but, but 98 was the first big one. And yeah, you just remember all those games. There was a guy years ago selling DVDs of Viking games. I bought some for like two, three bucks a piece, like the original broadcast of just some of those memorable games I remember. Mm-hmm. So that was cool to that was on that was on TV a couple times. Here's, here's some the, like r- rookie spotlights, yeah, for whatever that was Moss. And I always love the crazy NFL to see films. that game. I always love the NFL films, like recap of the seasons mm-hmm. and stuff. Those are great. Here's the the. Perhaps one of the more interesting, at least to me, notes about that season. They ended the season with three straight games against AFC opponents. That guy can't happen anymore. But like, <laughs> like there was a stretch where four of their five games were against the division. They were home against Detroit at Chicago at Green Bay, home to Washington at Detroit again. Oh, and then at Tampa Bay, five of six, five yeah. of six. Like they were done with Tampa Bay and Detroit by November first. Because there were five teams in the division at that point. And, there, yeah, three straight games against AFC opponents to end the season. That's crazy. Yeah, some of those, I mean, some of those, those old schedules, I don't know what the rhyme and reason were for them. 
I go back to Dan Marino and John Elway. They played twice in their career in the regular season. Mm-hmm. One of them was in their one of them was in their last season in '98. Then they played in the playoffs a couple weeks later. So Marino and Elway, the two greatest quarterbacks of their generation, along with Joe Montana, played three times in their career. Two of them were when they were like 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So how you go literally like 12 or 13 years and the Dolphins and the Broncos don't play, I don't know how that happens. Nope, I don't either. And now that like, now what, we know what? that can't happen. Now we know you're going to play a team no soon, no later than four years. Like there's a there's a set rhyme and reason to how the schedule is put up. Like what? Were, I mean, these aren't these are teams in the same conference. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't the SEC, or teams can go ten years without playing each other. Like how does this happen? I don't know what they're conformity what the rhyme or reason was for at least these schedules are pretty similar now and it's it's pretty fair so by the way that in, that, was, uh, in that vikings packers game the the vikings were up 37 to 10 you know who scored yeah. the you know who threw the final two touchdowns for the packers doug peterson yep doug peterson now the head coach of the jaguars <laughs> far had like 114 yards in the game goodness gracious ryan longwell was kicking for that must have been his rookie season wow yeah, great looking back at some of those games. I mean, they just dominated every aspect of the game. Tar mm-hmm. was awful. Vikings were great. One of one of the more memorable games for me. Certainly. Certainly. And I, I, what I, would, I don't know if you would do this, but I would come home. There was a Monday night game. I would go home and uh, maybe take a little bit of a nap when I got home from school so I could stay up to 1030. To uh, to watch these games, I would get if if my mom and dad allowed it, I could stay up late. And normally, I'd have to go to bed at like halftime or something. The one game that I wish I had been able to stay up the long or like the most for was that Dolphins Jets game with the the, oh, yes. the, 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 the comeback from Vinny Testaverde and he throws mm-hmm. a touchdown pass to Jumbo Elliott of all people. That that's the game I wish I was able to stay up the longest for. I mean, you would get up the next morning, I would eat breakfast, and then I would watch Sports Center at six thirty, six forty five, and oh yeah, this is what I missed mm-hmm. from the night before. So, yep, yep. No, we don't have that anymore. So that's good. It's good we yeah. can stay up if we want to. If not, you know, we're, we're getting older. We have to go to bed early. So. Yeah, we want to go to bed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there we had to. Now we get to. <laughs> now we get to. It's like, oh, yeah, I can go to bed at uh, 9, 10 o'clock, and it's, that's perfectly fine. It is. It is. Anything else we need to get to? There'll be a lot of stuff. And uh, draft coming up here at the end of the month. So I feel more confident Vikings are going to take a quarterback at number 12. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm interested to see if you know if any of these quarterbacks go. That's the key. If Malik oh, Willis yeah. is there, I think the Steelers trade up with the Vikings. And I mean, he seems to be the high riser for. I don't know if he's going. I doubt he's going to be any good, but people can't help themselves. So, yeah, if they trade down or if a quarterback or two, because there's a lot. There seems to be a lot of defensive players or offensive linemen mm-hmm. in the top of this draft. So, if there are Two quarterbacks, somebody somebody might fall down. Yep. Like, you know, Thibodeau with, with Oregon. Uh, Oregon like, number one, number two, it seemed pretty certain. And now I don't know what's going on where he's not in the top five. It seems pretty certain. I don't know why that is. Like, he seemed, it was him and Hutchinson, number one, number two. 
Take your pick. Mm-hmm. Whoever goes one is going to go number two. Mm-hmm. So why he is he's seemingly falling, I have no idea. Well, some people think, it, it, you know, is, is he interested in playing it? You know, does he want to, you know, his motor and everything? Uh, Here's $30 million. Run after the quarterback once a week. There you go. There you go. I, I know. I, I think, yeah, I think, you almost think Hayden, Aiden Hutchinson's the, the guy and then. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll go number one. And then there's like these couple of offensive linemen I've ever heard who will be in the top five, but mm-hmm. I'm looking at, you know, cornerbacks, defensive guys, you know, take somebody good, whoever falls. I mean, I think the Vikings are in a position to take some, just take some, if it's not a cornerback, take a linebacker, take somebody who's going to make a difference. Yep. You know, yep. it's probably going to be a cornerback, a guy from Washington, a guy well, from. I, I really you know, want Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. Yeah, if he were to be there, that, that that seems like that would be a very exciting pick. Yeah. So if he's there, you take him. So we like our LSU guys, and that seems to work out more times than not. Well, he uh, the the D backs coach for the Vikings used to be, or the, the someone on the Vikings defensive staff used to be at LSU. LSU. Uh, and plus, you have Patrick Peterson from LSU, Justin Jefferson from LSU. So there's that connection yeah. there. So I think if Derek Stingley's there, and if there's not a quarterback there, I think it'd be very tempting if, like, say the Steelers call up and say, we want to trade from 20 to 12, and we'll give you pick 20, a fourth round pick this year, and a first next year. Ooh, that'd be awfully tempting. You'd have to do that. And, you know, I mean, they, they take Kellen Mond, and it would have been nice to at least see him play. Mm-hmm. And there are some intriguing guys, you know, in the second or third round at the quarterback position, but you have Kirk Cousins. You he have Sean Mannion. Viking, a, Did you see that? Like, he wants to retire who? a Viking, he said today. Who? Kirk Cousins says he wants to retire a Viking. Hope he fucking retires this year, then. Hope this is his <laughs> last year. Hope he, hope he goes into an early retirement. <laughs> It's a lot um, of money he'd have to give up there. I don't think that's happening. So Kellen Mond, you know, he's there. Sean Mannion, I think, is a waste of a roster spot. Make Excellent. him a fucking coach. If, if Kirk Cousins, if they got some relationship or whatever, like, make him a coach. Like, don't put him on the fucking team. Yeah, don't. Sean Mannion, get out of here. Get out of here. Because, you know, like the guy from Nevada, Carson Strong, has this arm and... Like people like Malik Willis, I just don't. I don't see that working out. I really don't like any of these quarterbacks. I like Kenny Pickett as much as anybody, and I don't think he's going to be great. So, and not a good quarterback draft is what it looks like. You want a strong draft? How about we? How about the Vikings get Carson Strong and Pierre Strong? That'd be fine. Look like Pierre Strong's going to get drafted. So he's probably going to go fifth, sixth, seventh round. He'll get drafted. Oh no, he's going to um, go. He's going to go third or fourth round. Jesus Christ! Well, uh, we'll see what happens. He he had a dynamite time at the uh, at the mm-hmm. uh, combine, and he had a strong pro day. I yeah, Pierre Strong's going. I I'd say he's a fringe day two pick. Otherwise, you you see him go early in day three. That's my prediction. Now I've been I've been wrong before. I've seen you've been you know, bullish. You've been bullish on these uh, these, SCC folks on before. These rabbits, I can't yes. get drafted. I feel confident in that. I feel like it may be later in the draft, but we'll see. There's one draft that has him going to the Chiefs in the fourth round. Oh baby, yeah. Oh boy, that'd be all right. No, don't waste your first round pick on a running back when you get somebody in the fourth. Right, right. So, um, 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm excited for the Vikings. I'm really not excited for anything else because it's... Well, there's really... I mean, yeah, there's no one up at the top of the draft like, oh my gosh, these quarterbacks are all going to, you know... No. Who's going to be the first quarterback? I mean, there's intrigue there, but you don't know when that's going to happen. Is it going to come six to Carolina? Is it going to come twelve or, you know, where? And you would, you would, I would assume you would love to go to one of these. Oh yes, oh yes, it would be great. Like it, it's going to like it. What? It's in Kansas City next year, right? Uh, Detroit next year, Kansas City two years, I think. Like I feel like that's. I mean, Kansas City. That's as close as it's going to get. I, I think say. Minnesota could get it potentially at some point. So, I don't know if I would care to go, but it would, I mean, you would love to go, and uh, Kansas City would be, you know. Think of that barbecue, and maybe they could do it at the oh, Fire Lake yeah, yeah, it is the barbecue. You can, you know, hopefully the Royals play that weekend. Yep. Like, you could make that a weekend. Absolutely, you, know? you could. Absolutely. That'd be, uh, that's maybe something to look forward to. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we will see. Yeah, we'll just, you know, it's a couple years away, so we'll start making the plans here now. Um, but you enjoy uh, the rest of your week. Uh, continue to uh, well wishes on the wedding planning and getting all that as the countdown draws near. And uh, avoid the wacky weather this week. Yeah, hopefully you get a lot of rain. That's what I'm hoping for. Yep. We all need it. We all need yes. it. All right. Have a good week, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. All righty. We'll see you. Travis Crins joining me here, Sports Block Podcast. Appreciate his time as always. Great stuff there. We had a lot to talk about today for, or this week from uh, the NBA playoffs to the, the baseball, the significant SDSU basketball news, um, the Masters, Scotty Scheffler winning, some you know, thoughts on the, the tragic situation regarding Dwayne Haskins and so on. And we'll, we have a lot more draft talk coming up here over the next few weeks. Uh, Jeff Lloyd. The second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. He's going to join me here later in the podcast. We're going to go over some of the uh, prospects in the draft, either offense or defense, and we'll do that again next week with the other side of the ball. And then a mock draft, our big NFL mock draft special. It's the second best podcast we do all year, only outside of the the March Madness Bracket Breakdown podcast. But we'll do that here uh, the week of April 25th. Yeah, the week of April 25th. Because the, the draft is less than... Th- it's three weeks away, folks. Three weeks and change. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. This podcast is available on podcast.com as well as on iTunes. Search Sports Block Podcast. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Andy Stack and Travis Krenz at Travis Krenz. Facebook, Nathan Stack, and a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. NFL Draft Talk continues next, though, with the great Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Talking about some prospects who we'll hear called in the NFL Draft later this month. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast, the NFL Draft is just weeks away, and who better to talk about some of the prospects and the names that we'll be hearing in this year's NFL Draft than the man from the Lockdown Browns podcast, Jeff Lloyd II, one of the best in the business. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, how you been? Uh, we're good. We're good. You know, obviously, you know, this time of year, always a little hectic, uh, you know, Browns coverage-wise. It's been, you know, certainly off the rails for about the last month or so. Yes, it has. Uh, with some major additions. Uh, so, uh, you know, just trying to get here. And, and uh, you know, the Browns, obviously not major players in the 2022 NFL Draft, but, um, you know, 
still in a lot of teams, uh, a lot of holes to fill. A lot, uh, maybe not in the first round, but I think that's kind of the way a lot of teams kind of operating here. We're seeing a change. I, I don't know if it's a change or is this a you know a, a one-off situation or teams more so modeling after the LA Rams because we're seeing you know like the Raiders trade a first and a second for Devontae Adams the Miami Dolphins trade a first and a second for Tyreek Hill and you know they and a few other picks I mean we're I think there are eight teams with multiple picks in the first round this year are you sensing a trend or is this a one-off do you think uh, that might tell you a little bit about this year's draft class. Um, and then you have certain divisions like the AFC West where, um, you know, obviously everybody seemed to be chasing Kansas City, you mm-hmm. know, so you have the Chargers go all in, you have the Raiders go all in, you obviously had Denver go all in with Russell Wilson. Uh, so you have a lot of teams, you know, basically mortgaging the small, the short future, uh, you know, for the temporary, um, you know, probably tells you a lot about the quarterback class uh, this year. Um, but, you know, look, people are, you know, win now. Um, if you think you're close, uh, you know, go for it. Um, get in it. Um, but I think the fact that there's some other positions like wide receiver, like tight end, like defensive end that are deep. So maybe you don't need necessarily, you know, first round pick to acquire somebody that can help your team out. Well, this week we will focus on the offensive side of the ball. Next week we'll we'll focus on the defensive prospects. And, you know, maybe you're kind of alluding to it that this year's draft, especially on the quarterback side, it's it's weak, for lack of a better term. And, uh, I mean, we have Malik Willis, the, the guy from Liberty, who's kind of gaining the most buzz. Kenny Pickett, he's throwing his name in the mix here a little bit. Out of those two guys, unless you and maybe you think that there's someone else out there lurking in the weeds, but who do you think is the top quarterback in this draft, and who do you think is most likely to be picked uh first out of the quarterbacks maybe it, it could be both or it could be it could be a different combo i i think malik wills um you look at obviously the arm strength it's there in spade um the athleticism which a lot of teams seem to just you know covet now um the elite athleticism the elite running ability with the ball um you know with wills though i mean obviously you know did not play against you know a you know, a large amount of, you know, top competition. So, you know, it's going to be a slow process with him, similar to maybe Trey Lance out in San Francisco, uh, where you have the reverse order of a Kenny Pickett, who, you know, is older. He's, you know, and it seemed like he was in the ACC forever. Uh, Jersey kid had a solid career down there. I mean, there's, you know, talk about his hands, maybe being too small, this, that, and the other thing. These are things that could have hurt him maybe in years past where there wasn't, you know, such a strong quarterback class. Uh, you know, Sam Howell, um, you know, it seemed weird that maybe, you know, a year ago to say a Baker Mayfield comp for a quarterback was a compliment. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily sure if that's a compliment right now, but Sam Howell has that type of ability. And I really think, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter is a guy who's probably getting slept on long career at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, help the team get from, you know, lower rung to obviously, you know, you know, a lot of success this past season with a lot of talented players on the offensive side, defensive side of the ball. And obviously a lot of that, you know, translated through the success of Desmond Ritter. How how high do you think the first quarter? I mean, I th- personally, I think we're going to see some reaches. Uh, I don't know for sure how many quarterbacks we're going to see go in the first round. I think two is probably maybe the likely number, but I've seen some mock drafts put uh, – Malik Willis go as high as number two to Detroit. I uh, see, you know, like the Carolina Panthers seem to be uh, focused in on Kenny Pickett, at least according to some people there. And then you have like Matt Corral's kind of a, a, a wild card, the quarterback out of Ole Miss that gets mentioned here. Just how high do you think these quarterbacks are going to go in the first round? The 
biggest key is going to who takes the first one, I think, because then maybe that's going to kind of open Pandora's box a tad bit. Um, I don't think Malik Wills is going to go as high as two to Detroit. Um, if you're Detroit, you have the UF picks 32 and 34. If you really like the kid, just take him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You can come back later with picks 32, 34, and quality players. Um, I believe somebody's going to end up in Carolina. You know, it, it seems to be the mystery as to who it's actually going to be. Kenny Pickett back in the day did commit to Temple University, who Matt Rule was the coach at Temple at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously there's a situation where you have you know, a head coach who obviously knows the player pretty well. Um, you know, Matt Corral, yeah, Matt Corral's not a bad player. There's definitely some warts to his game, but he's one of these guys that can throw all day. Um, you know, has no problem, you know, putting up 40 passes a game and you get yourself into these types of situations now, the style that the NFL has played. Oh, uh, look, it's not a strong class. Everybody obviously has their eyes towards 2023 with the Alabama quarterback and the Ohio State quarterback, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean there's not a need in the league. And, you know, these guys are going to find homes. Is there any other quarterback worth discussing that you could look at it in one of the mid-rounds of the late-round pick and say, okay, he's a bit of a project, but uh, if he finds the right home, uh, he could be a, at least a, a decent or serviceable backup, a potential starter in a few years? i got to be honest, and it feels weird to say this. No. <laughs> it's just not a good class. It is not really a good class. You, uh, you, of course, you love all the ability of Malik Wills, but you know, are you going to be able to coach you know, some quarterback play into him and you'll take the raw athlete essentially out of him? Uh, you know, Kenny Pickett, you can't expect that there's going to be much more than you've seen in his time in Pittsburgh at 24 years old. Um, you know, maybe Matt Carell could surprise. You know, Desmond Renner, I think the uh, – the combination of athleticism um, and he's a, he's a solid thrower of the football. But again, we're not you know we're not talking about a you know an honor roll group of quarterbacks here this year. In the backfield, uh, it seems like it's a maybe a, you got some good prospects up at the top. I don't think we're going to probably see anyone go maybe in the first round, maybe early second. You have you know Zahir White, you have. Uh, Dalvin Cook's brother, um, James Cook, is out of Georgia, so they, they're kind of splitting hairs there. Uh, Pierre Strong Jr., running back from South Dakota State, I've got to get his name mentioned in. He had a very strong combine. He's probably going to be a top you know, 100 pick, maybe you know, pick no later than round four. That's maybe where his kind of ceiling's at. What do you make of the running back class as a whole, and uh, where do you see these guys, the, the top echelon here, kind of getting drafted? Well, I think, yeah, for me, I think Brees Hall out of Iowa State oh, might yes. be all around yep. the best back in this class. Um, you know, bigger guy. He's got the, uh, you know, 5'11", 217. He's got the ability to take it to the house. Uh, Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State, he's more of a bruising type of running back, but a good player in his own right. Uh, you know, he have Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M, another guy at 6'217". This seems to be the body style of what NFL teams, you know, are looking for these types of days. So if they get yourselves in a position, you know, where you have to, you know, give him a lot of carries. You know, your player is ready for it. Jerome Ford, another player out of Cincinnati. Cincinnati players going to get called a ton this draft. There's a ton of them. Jerome Ford, solid north-south runner. Um, we get to your guy, Pierre Strong, and he's probably had a strong, strong run. It's mm-hmm. good, always good to be in the position where you are considered the fastest running back in the class. That is certainly going to open up eyes. 
James Cook from Georgia, I love. I think he gives you a Kareem Hunt type of game where he is successful as a runner. He's really, really successful as a receiver. Um, you know, diversifying, you know, basically, you know, so when he comes on the field, there's not a tell, essentially. Um, underused in his time, uh, you know, obviously at Georgia, it was a crowded backfield. Yes, it was. Of course, Amir White was there. He's another guy in that build of six feet, 215. Physical, tough guy, north and south, breaks a lot of tackles. Um, it's a, I think it's a good running back class, but you know it's, it gets really difficult to, um, and maybe this you know is partly with you know Saquon Barkley. It's really really hard to tell you know invest so heavily into a running back highly because you deal with injuries. Um, then you basically you know you put a lot of capital onto a player that you're not getting much return on. Yep. I mean, so do you foresee any running back crack in the first round here, or is it going to be primarily a, a run maybe early on in day two? In the, the top I'd half say of the maybe round. Brees Hall, but I think if it was Brees Hall, it might be a situation where somebody trains up in the first round. You okay. want to get that extra, uh, you know, get that fifth year option uh, on their running back. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, 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 I think they're good. I just don't know if maybe necessarily anybody is round one good, and there's not enough where anybody's pushing each other, where a team's going to have to say, you know, all right, I have to have this guy, and if I got to take him at 27, I'm taking him at 27. Wide receiver appears to be very deep this year. I think we talked about that earlier, and it, it makes it a little odd then that you kind of see these Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hills uh, get traded for first-round picks and second-round picks when you have such a deep class here. I mean, Jamison Williams, of course, coming off of the injury, the wide receiver from Alabama, so his draft stock might take a little bit of a hit. Drake London out of USC, great. You have you know the, the duo at Ohio State, Garrett uh, Wilson, and Chris Olave, uh, but uh, maybe like a Christian Watson's really coming on strong from North Dakota State. But this seems like once again a very, very deep wide receiver class. That even you know guys might slide to the third or fourth round, but they may be you know borderline one or have great uh, round two grades and type talent to them. Yeah, I think like look, we're not going to get confused here that you know uh, maybe any wide receiver in this class is Jamar Chase. I don't think we've you know right. we're going to fool ourselves there. Maybe if Jamison Williams, we got to see more and he was healthy, maybe there's a possibility there. Uh, Garrett Wilson at Ohio State, electric, great route runner, ran really well at the combine, ran faster than most people expected. Uh, Jamison Williams uh, dealing with the ACL injury. The question is going to be when, um, but the talks seem to be more and more positive on Jamison Williams as these weeks go on. Uh, Drake London, it's a little difficult because, you know, some questions people had were athleticism. Um, and basically, we never got any of those questions answered. Uh, Traylon Burks, it's been a tough cycle for Traylon Burks. Um, he just never tested well. It certainly did not behoove him that his pro day was one week after the combine. Uh, so not really an opportunity there to, you know, improve greatly on his numbers. Chris Olave at Ohio State, I love. I think Chris Olave is out the box ready to go if there's that opportunity where Chris Olave goes in like the high 20s possibility to the Green Bay Packers something yep. like that you're talking about somebody who's going to I think blow it up right out of the box George Pickens out of Georgia he's been getting some real real positive uh, run here over the last couple of months one of my personal favorites Jahan Dotson out of Penn State mm-hmm. he had a really really solid career in Happy Valley um, never really had great quarterback play so the numbers aren't going to blow you away uh, Sky Moore out of Western Michigan I know a lot of people are big fans of Sky Moore this is a guy, I, I don't know, for me, I think he's a good player. There's just players I prefer better. So I'll probably, you know, go ahead and you can cross Sky Moore into the Hall of Fame most likely than <laughs> if I'm against it. Um, Khalil Shakur out of uh, Boise State is a guy that doesn't get a ton of 
uh, you know, it's spoken about uh, 20 touchdowns, 2,000 yards receiving his last two years at Boise State. Uh, was used, uh, you know, put the ball in his hands, Jets, jet sweeps, uh, screens to him. Uh, you know, nice player. I think they can come in right away as number three, number four wide receiver. Uh, Justin Ross out of Clemson. Uh, you go back a few years ago, Justin Ross was, you know, somebody that we all talked about as probably being an absolute, you know, top 10, top 15 selection in probably what would have been last year's NFL draft. Some injuries certainly hurt him along the way. The question about the neck, where is he? at basically with that but six foot three 225 pounds it just does grow on trees so he's a solid player he's a player i would love if i could get into cleveland just bring a little more size to the room mm-hmm. uh alec pierce out of cincinnati i think had a really really nice you know uh you know draft season he was a player that played well for cincinnati um, but once people got to see that there was a lot more athleticism to him, he's not so much quick as he is fast, but that's okay. At six foot three, 210 pounds, you don't necessarily have to be super quick. You're going to be a vertical receiver most likely. And of course, Christian Watson, Christian Watson, you know, who will be 23 in May. Um, a lot of people wanted to make his age a death sentence, but, you know, if you're going to be 23 your entire rookie season, that's not the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the athleticism, the size, everything off the charts, did everything North Dakota State asked him to do in his time there. But you do have to say there's a question of production. I mean, he just was not used a lot. So the question is, you know, can you, when we start upping this up to maybe hopefully 80, 90, 100 targets a year, you know, can you, you know, are you going to be able to produce like we need to you two for the investment they put in? He was a guy that went into the Browns. I know the visit he had with the Cleveland Browns, they really liked him. Um, so Christian Watson is a guy who's had a really, really nice cycle and maybe has taken advantage of, you know, some of these wide receivers who are going through the process with injuries. I mean, there are a lot of mock drafts at this time of the year, and they seem to be constantly changing. And the one thing you kind of notice is that people have these wide receivers pegged all over the board, all over the place here. I mean, I don't think we're... We might not see a wide receiver go until maybe the top 10, maybe just outside. Do you foresee, you know, once one goes that we see a bunch go after that? Do you foresee maybe some trading up to if uh, teams are high on one particular wide receiver over another? It just feels like we're going to, in the middle of the draft especially, or maybe towards the latter stages in the 20s, when you have teams like Green Bay and Kansas City with multiple picks that maybe they try and uh, insert themselves to get the wide receiver that fits their needs the most. Well, there's two schools of thought here. You know, are you a team that is you know has draft capital, has cap space, like the Raiders did? Uh, like Miami Dolphins did, and go out and acquire a Tyree Kill or a Devontae Adams. Not a lot of teams are in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a team like the Buffalo Bills where you can make Stephon Diggs the highest paid, play, paid uh, wide receiver in the game? A lot of teams aren't in that position. So you look at a team specifically like the Chiefs. Uh, they weren't going to be comfortable with the money Tyree Kill wanted. Uh, so now with back-to-back picks at 29-30, you got to think they're going to be looking at a wide receiver. I still... And I will continue this. I don't know exactly what Kansas City's thought process was there uh, because Tyree Kill was the thing that scared the death out of defenses. Mm-hmm. So to move on from him, and I just don't see how you just bring in somebody or even a couple of guys that just come in and replace that. Um, but this is also the first year of you know Patrick Mahomes' extension. There is a lot of money coming his way. When you sign players to these types of contract extensions, you are doing it with the understanding of you're going to lose people, you're going to lose players. Um, so you know, teams like that, you know, late, obviously, you know, Green Bay is in another spot here. 
as far as, you know, looking for, you know, something. We lost two receivers this also to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alan Mazard is a nice player, but he's nowhere near on the level of Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron Rodgers certainly is going to be, you know, somebody that's going to be monitoring this <laughs> closely and making sure that they're going to get him, obviously, some assistance. <laughs> I think we lost Jeff here for a second. No, you know. I'm here. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. Sorry. Are you, are you, are you okay? Are you okay? I know you had been dealing with uh, some flu-related symptoms earlier. Yeah, we had a little cough in there. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Good. Um, I'm glad you're okay. Uh, if you could pay, what do you think is the ideal fit for, say, a Green Bay or Kansas City at the wide receiver spot? Like, if you want someone with speed for Kansas City, who are you going with here if you – do you need to make a, a trade to get, uh, you know, a lave or someone like that? I think for the Chiefs, um, I don't think it's going to happen, but obviously Jamison Williams would be certain, somebody you certainly have your eyes on. Um, maybe a consolation prize is Christian Watson. Uh, again, Chris Olave, I think, you know, as long as Aaron Rodgers doesn't play his mental games with him, I think Chris Olave, somebody can go into Green Bay, have a ton of success, uh, solid route runner, catches everything that's thrown to him. Uh, so for those two guys, that's places you're looking at. You know, there's other players where it's tough, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never good for a player like Traylon Burks where we have more questions at this point than we necessarily do answers. Maybe with Drake London, but at big draft, you know, everybody, front offices, everybody seems to love Drake London, have him penciled in, locked in as a top 10 pick. And that's okay. But for me, normally the way I do this, you know, without athletic testing numbers, it is a little bit difficult for me to justify taking a player that high. But the Jets certainly do have a need at the wide receiver position. Um, Mm -hmm. I think all in all, you're probably going to say anywhere between four to six, go round one. Question is going to be, you know, what goes on there in that 20 to 32 range uh, you know, it, does the run start there, and then everybody's going to get you know kind of nervous that maybe it's a game of musical chairs, and they're going to end up without a seat. Tight end class seems a little weak. I mean, I think there's a clear front runner for number one overall, at least in my opinion, in uh, in McBride, the tight end from Colorado State. I, well, I, I saw him against South Dakota State. Now, granted, it might consider the competition, but Trey put on quite the show in that uh, game, and he he put on a show pretty much all year in a, what was a dismal year there in Fort Collins with Colorado State. Uh, anyone else outside of Trey McBride that really excites you with this tight end class? I actually, I really, really like this class because I think you have guys that can contribute as pass receivers. And I think you have guys that are, um, you can look at as true in-line number one tight ends as far as their blocking ability. Certainly McBride fits that. Certainly Jeremy Ruckert uh, is a guy who fills that. A player like Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State who comes from a really, really athletic family, but is still six foot six, almost 250 pounds. Good blocker. Um, Kate Otten out of Washington. There were some medical questions, but those seem to be you know cleared up. Um, Jelani Woods out of Virginia is just an absolute freak of a human being, but he is 24 years old, so there is a little bit of a caveat to that. There's some smaller tight ends that uh, you know, maybe the blocking isn't there yet. Maybe they would line up in a wing. Maybe they would line up in an H-back type of thing. Uh, I think Dolchich would fill and UCLA would fill out one of those type of things. I think Isaiah likely out of Coastal Carolina as he progresses his, trans- uh, his transition from wide receiver to tight end is certainly one of those players. One of my favorite tight ends in this class, uh, Chigo Oconfo out of Maryland. Six foot three, two hundred forty pounds. This is a player they actually used on jet sweeps in his time at Maryland. He's a little bit smaller. Could probably, you know, do that H back role. You know, basically play as a flex tight end. 
Cole Turner out of Nevada, another solid player. James Mitchell, Virginia Tech. Um, if you go back to September, he was one of the highly thought about tight ends in this class before the ACL injury. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's another good one. Um, and then, of course, uh, Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State. Um, he was a guy really had a nice, nice process. Um, didn't test like an uber-athlete, caught everything, throw it to him. Uh, showed to be aggressive and willing as a blocker. This is a pretty good tight end class. I mean, we're not again, we're not talking about anybody going round one. Maybe anybody even going round two. Um, and I think maybe part of it is because they're going to cancel each other out. But if you're looking for a tight end, this is a class that's pretty much got everything for you. All right. So the depth. See, this is why I love talking with you because I learned so much about the these tight this tight end class and stuff. So it's maybe not at the top end of the draft, but certainly in the middle rounds here, there's certainly a lot of depth and teams can get those needs that they need to out of the tight end position. Finally, on the offensive line here, uh, we'll, we'll just start out on the outside, work our way to the interior. Tackles, I mean, you could see two tackles go uh, in the top five for sure, maybe even as, as high as number one, uh, potentially. You have the, the guy out of uh, uh, North Carolina State, Ikem Ekwonu. Uh, uh, you have Evan Neal, who was rumored to be number one for a little while there from Alabama, maybe going to Jacksonville. That seems to have lost some steam and whatnot, but there are a lot of what appear to be really good tackles, and then you have the behemoth of an individual, Falale, from um, from Minnesota. We'll see where he goes, but what do you make of this tackle class uh, in general? Well, I mean, you know, some of these things, you look at Evan Neal at six foot seven, 340 pounds. He looks like he's a three in the NBA, the way he's built. I mean, I've never seen somebody pack 340 out of body and wear it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, you talked about, um, you know, Akonwu at NC State, you know, similar type as well, just not as big, not as tall. Uh, but maybe uh, you know, at this point, he's really, really refined. So he is. He's, if you don't get Evan Neal, I think you're going to be more than okay with him. Uh, Charles Cross is a guy that kind of goes all over the place. There's some that you know, like him later. There's some that like him earlier. Um, you know, uh, of course, you get also to uh, you know a player like. Um, Trevin, uh, Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa. This is a player I'm not necessarily sure what to do to him. Normally, six foot seven tackles um, doesn't always pan out, you know, against some of the edge rushers in the NFL these days. But we'll see how that plays out. He's kind of nasty Smith. too, isn't he? He's got a nasty streak to him a bit. Oh, he's a, oh, he's a, he's a little pain in the ass. There's no doubt about <laughs> that. You know, he's he's definitely got that working for him. Also, um, one of the risers, and you know, he's starting to get talked about more now. But Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. I mean, mm-hmm. everything you're looking for, and he's another one that's just an absolute PIA. Um, he's annoying. You know, he will drive you into the ground, and if you get up, he will drive you into the ground again. Um, maybe he's going to guy who's going to make a transition to the right side. Um, but a player like him, you know, certainly a solid, solid player. You know, uh, Sean Ryan at UCLA, predominantly a right tackle, but he's a guy that seems to be uh, catching a lot of people's eyes as we get closer and closer to the end of April as well. As far as the interior, then the guards in the center. The center, it's uh, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa is the is the probably the prize jewel at the center position here. I could see him. I, I wouldn't mind if the Vikings took him at twelve. If maybe uh, you know Derek Stingley Jr. or Sauce Gardner are uh, gone by that point, maybe to trade down with a quarterback needy team. I think Tyler Linderbaum would be a great selection there. Any other centers that are good? And then how about this guard class overall? It seems like there are some good jewels out there as well. I think the problem with the center class is that you look at Lindenbaum and how accomplished he is, how fluid he is, athletic, and his size is perfect for the position. It's really hard to find somebody else after that where that you're confident in. Um, and there's no doubt he's the number one center in this class. Um, 
you know, at worst, even if you were to slide, I'm sure the Bengals would scoop him up in a heartbeat uh, mm-hmm. as they need somebody to command the center of that line, uh, keep Joe Burrow upright, continue the success that the Bengals had. But if you're looking for a center and, you know, if you're somebody that really follows center play, you know, Tyler Linderbaum is probably one of the better ones that's come out in the last four or five years. And then how about the guard class overall? Is this a seems like there is some depth here. You got it got some jewels um that you can draft throughout uh, throughout these seven rounds, or who do you think are like some yeah, of the, the top? Kenny Green, Kenny Green had a Texas A&M solid, solid player. Uh, he's not a player that's going to get out and move so much. You're not really going to pull him necessarily, but a solid player. Zion Johnson out of Boston College had a ridiculously good draft cycle. The question is going to be, and this is where it's interesting for Zion Johnson. He was asked to play center down at the Senior Bowl. He played really well. Um, so I'm sure there are teams that probably maybe view him as a potential center, um, not just a guy that's going to play on the interior, um, but really, really did well there. And you know the way the senior bowl works. You do things that, you know, they ask you to do something outside the box. Um, you jump in, you show well. Um, you know, you're always going to find people, you know, who appreciate that inside Dylan Parham out of Memphis, another another good player. Um, Max Mitchell, Louisiana, everybody says it's a tackle. I personally think he's a guard, but another solid, solid one. Um and you have uh, Luke Kadecki at Central Michigan. Again, he's another guy that's going to end up at guard. Six foot size, six foot five, a little bit over three hundred pounds. Strong. He actually can move a little bit. Um, so you know, there's it's a good it's a good class. I think the tackle class and Tyler Lindenbaum are going to overshadow the interior a little bit because you just had one strong center and you have some really strong tackles. Um, but it, it's a good group. It's a solid group. There's a lot of talented, talented players. And, you know, as the way, you know, this works over the years, you know, we see the development, you know, where high school teams are throwing for 35, 40, you know, passes a game. You're only doing that if you're able to develop offensive line at a young level. Mm-hmm. So these players get to this point and they are so accomplished, um, you know, as the evolution of football trickles down to, I mean, even, you know, high school level, you know, pop water level. Um, you just get these guys who are just ready to go so early, uh, you know, just due to the fact that it's a different style of football that was played back in the day. Um, and you get to the point where you have a lot of solid, solid, solid players that are, you know, basically coming out. You know, offensive line for this class this is a solid one. Um, it's probably going to offset a little bit of the fact that it isn't a great quarterback class. Um, gives you an opportunity to shore up your line. If you end up do drafting, uh, you know, one of these rookie quarterbacks and you want to make sure you got the best protection for them. Yeah, as you said, that the, the game of football has certainly changed a lot over the years, and that is uh, factoring into some of these uh, draft prospects and how teams are drafting. So it'll be fun to watch. Jeff, I always appreciate the time. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you here over the next several weeks here. We'll do defensive prospects next week, and uh, we're, we're inching closer. It's a great time of the year. I uh, always appreciate the time. Uh, be well, and, and we'll chat soon. Thank you so much. You got it, buddy. Take uh, care, Nathan. Yep, thank you, Jeff. Jeff Lloyd, the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast. Great stuff, as always. Uh, He's one of the best in the business, and I enjoy, thoroughly enjoy speaking with him whenever I get the chance. Uh, He's great, and appreciate his time, as always. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We got through a lot of stuff. We talked about... uh, the, the Jackrabbits uh, recruiting. We talked about baseball. We talked about the NBA playing games. A little mild uh, play, uh, playoff preview. Uh, what the hell else did we talk? We talked about a lot of stuff. And of course, then the NFL draft here and and whatnot. Uh, great stuff with with Jeff and of course, a fantastic time talking with Travis. It's it's always great. Uh, this time of the year is just fantastic. And you can find this edition of the Sports Block Podcast as well as all of our podcasts available on podcast.com. We're back on iTunes, so. To, 
to uh, take a look there. I'm on Twitter at ND Stack and Travis is on Twitter at Travis Crins. Facebook Nathan Stack and a link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. Jeff Lloyd is on on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, follow Locked On Browns podcast at Locked On Browns. A uh, go to especially if you are a Browns fan. And as he said, there is a lot that. They have been discussing here and whatnot with, with Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield and everything like that. So thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. For those in the Dakotas uh, dealing with the strong winds, uh, North Dakota dealing with that nasty blizzard. I mean, I, I'll take a blizzard next year. Come on, give give me 24 to 36 inches of the white stuff. I want it. Let's go. Um, uh, you know, Hopefully everyone's staying safe out there and whatnot. Have a happy Easter, everyone. Uh, enjoy the time. Uh, doing whatever it is that you do in in terms of celebrating Easter. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Jeff and for Travis, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week. Happy Easter, everyone.